Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm here to report my wife missing. Your name? My name is Robert Durst. Hello, guys. Welcome back to another not-so-mini quarantine, I don't know, episode of Mother May I Sleep a Podcast. Today, as you saw in the title, we're doing The Lost Wife of Robert Durst, who I thought was Robert Blake until I watched this movie. I mean, I knew who Robert Durst was, but I... Anyway, today's guests are the 12 Months of Christmas guys, David and Joseph. Hello. Hello, Joe. Hi. Hello. Um, thank you so much for joining me, you guys. If you don't know what their show is, they do a monthly Patreon podcast where they focus on Hallmark movies. They fall on the sword for us. They do Christmas Hallmark movies. I could not ever do that job. So I'm so thankful that they do that. Um, and I've been posting a lot of patreon mini episodes to patreon as well so if you want to go and check those out we're doing i don't know guys we're in a little bit of like a true crime spree here right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. i try yeah, to I was... them out as much as possible because like they're so you know everyone wants a good true crime but then once like maybe once a year i wind up just doing an absolute block of them and i feel like this has to be the last true crime moment for a while. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be so true crimey when um, <laughs> I picked the title because I think we had a list and um, I picked it on Catherine McPhee alone. And, and I don't know. I was not ex- expecting what we got and I still don't know exactly what we got. But it was like it was very true crimey. It was. It felt like a like long, soft episode of Law and Order SVU. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, with a lot but of jump cuts. <laughs> a lot of jump cuts and a lot of weird close-ups in this movie. Oh god, I feel like I was watching a bad ABBA video. Like, like, <laughs> like one face, like close with like some sort of weird lighting, and then all of a sudden in the back, you'd have somebody in a different in a different. Um, uh, focus and like I'm sure there's a technical term for it but like it was like what's going on here and it yeah. was like all out of order it was like watching like Twin Peaks or Memento like <laughs> I know and that's when it gets hard to think about like oh is Lifetime trying to bring us into a little moment of Robert Durst's potential schizophrenia that he was diagnosed with at age 11 I didn't think about it that way I just I just I thought they were trying to be artsy yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I don't think they think that hard either at all. Um, but Joe, you're from Long Island. So I this am. hits close to home for you. Oh, yeah. You know, not quite as much as like Meet the Parents did. But yeah, <laughs> that was a phenomenon here. But yeah. Did that movie take place in Long Island? That movie took place on Long Island. No. Yes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I am shocked. It's been probably, I don't know, 10 years since I've seen that movie. Um, wow. Actually, I just realized like how old that movie uh, is. And I, 
I'm like panicking a little bit. Um, but yeah, this movie was obviously you guys probably like, duh, Molly, the jinx. The jinx was a huge deal. I remember watching it sort of being like mostly tuned in, but a little bit tuned out. I was obsessed with Beverly Hills with the extra E and I wished that we had gotten to see that. I still haven't seen the jinx. I feel like I'm really bad because I've seen McMillions and I know there's another one that like everybody's talking about right now, but maybe I need to add it to my list. You guys are probably the listener base is going to be angry uh, (laughs) (laughs) throughout a lot of this because you're going to be like, duh, but we have to remember this is sort of a story, a version of the story that we haven't seen before unless you read the book it was based on, which is The Lost Wife, a.k.a. Catherine McPhee is playing her in this movie. Come on, Mm -hmm. Catherine McPhee. I I have a little story about Catherine McPhee where... My okay, so the season that she was on, well, it's not really about Catherine McPhee, but still, it's my it's my connection <laughs> to Catherine McPhee. <laughs> um, okay. So the season that she was on American Idol, my cousin, whom I don't really know that well, got onto American Idol. Um, this is like my cousin that my aunt married a man that had three kids already. One of them went on to American Idol. Another one was in like a church band that then got like really popular in the country music scene, which once they got popular, he dropped out of the band. Um, It was called Love and Theft and they named it after a Dylan song. And like they had a hit. I don't know if they're still going, but one of the, like he dropped out and then his cousin went on to American Idol and this was Catherine McPhee's season. She gets to Hollywood and I didn't hear anything else. So I watched the season like, oh my God, where's my cousin? I'm going to see my cousin. And they don't show her through any of the auditions. And they finally show her when she gets to Hollywood and then is immediately cut. And I was like, okay. But by then I was hooked in that and like watched the whole season. I think that's like one of the two. She couldn't have told you anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's it's more intense security than the mass singer practically over right, there. Right, right. I'm sure there was like a million NDAs and like while we were having dim sum over Christmas, and my aunt's like, "Oh yeah, so and so got on American Idol." If like, if she had said anything further, like there would have been like I don't know, Simon Cow looking like bodyguards like coming up from under the table, like no. Yeah, broke his back, by the way. Oh, that's right. Broke his back. That oh. so intense, Ooh. dude. So wow. intense. Who wants to break their back? Come right? on. Uh, especially on a rental bike or something. Mm. It was like mm. a it was like a scooter or something. I don't know. Poor Simon Cowell. Um, I will show you sympathy, Simon Cowell. When I don't think you would show me sympathy if I'm being <laughs> honest. Here's the question though, yeah. David. Would you call them your cousins if they weren't mildly famous yes um they would still just be like (laughs) my cousins but i wouldn't i wouldn't tell people about them basically (laughs) right okay i didn't know if like cousin was like an enhancement like if you were really that close close. i met them like twice (laughs) oh um, well, I love that. I love that you view that as your connection to Catherine mm-hmm. McPhee, because that's almost like me just saying, oh, I watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, fascinating turn of events. And when she was, you know, I mean, you know, Kathy 
had an affair. Mm-hmm. And when she was having that affair, I couldn't help but think, oh, is that what you did with David Foster? <laughs> I- I'm kind of always surprised at how around Catherine McPhee has been. Like, I don't think there's any other word for it because I don't, I wouldn't call her a success story in the terms of other people, but she's been like around in the same way that, um, oh God, what was that kid from, from season two of American Idol who looked like Katie Lang? Um, oh, Adam Lambert? No, he's, he was the Clay Aiken. From okay. se- I don't think that's what Katie Lang looks there like. A- <laughs> really? <laughs> when he had, there was like a moment in time where he had like had cut his hair and he looked like Katie Lang, and it was very like, I guess we're doing this, but like he's been around, and like both of them been on Broadway <laughs> before he ran for um, Congress, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then do you remember when he came out in the Claymates, <laughs> all of his fans? Because he, I mean, he was like a big star with the ladies. Yeah. And when he came out, there was so many middle-aged women devastated. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll happen. Um, it was, it yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just was a weird, it was a weird, uh, turn of events for, mm-hmm. for me personally to witness from the outside. Like, I mean, I kind of figured I wasn't <laughs> horny for what's his face, but um, I will say I, Catherine McPhee in my mind has had a pretty successful mm-hmm. career amongst yeah. her peers. Like no one's ever going to be Kelly Clarkson, you know, Daughtry opened for a Nickelback. So that's pretty big, I think, but she yeah. did, she did mm-hmm. smash. She, done i think movies yeah, yeah. i think you know she did this she was this on is like a size Broadway. she did a shark night oh, right. 3d <laughs> right right you know so she, I, she yeah. works i heard she was a nanny for a little bit yeah maybe. was she no it's a there's a movie nanny mcphee that's oh, never, okay her, yes. oh <laughs> <laughs> um so the guy who plays robert durst though I think he did a pretty good job. It was a little cartoony, <laughs> but Robert Durst is sort of famous for his voice, I think, and sort of his mannerisms and just his way of being in that sort of physical way. So it was a little bit of an undertaking yeah. to take this on. I was on. looking at pictures of Robert Durst, yeah. and I was kind of surprised that, like, I, I can't tell if he was, like, I, I don't think he was as hot as this guy, but I don't expect Lifetime to not cast a hot guy. But, right, like, yeah. I don't know. That th- there was something about it that I was like, okay, this isn't quite it, but I can definitely see why this was done. Yeah, and not to be bitchy, <laughs> but he has not aged well. Robert Durst. Robert Durst. Yes. <laughs> oh no, he has aged terribly, honey. He's aged like milk in the sun <laughs> on a hot day. But I will tell you, this guy, you know. I think Robert Durst, what we need to get across with this actor in my mind is like, it might be difficult for the average viewer to quantify exactly how much money he is from and like what that means in terms of like gravity and pull 
in New York City, especially at this time. So you take like a guy that's, you know, sort of like an interesting kind of cute guy, you know, not necessarily objectively hot, but interesting. And then you take his crazy, but then you balance that out with like a billion dollar family fortune. And I feel like anyone can see how you wound up in Kathy's situation. Definitely. I, um, yeah, I was thinking about that a lot because like it's not something that like you really want to leave, especially if this is in the 70s and 80s, because I think this is still at a time where you couldn't have a credit card as a single as a woman or you couldn't have a credit card. Like you had to have your right. husband's permission to get a credit card. So leaving an abusive husband was like almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. And this was a, uh, what was it? And she's going through mm-hmm. like medical school and all this stuff. And they're making it clear that like, she desperately needs this money so she can, you know, keep mm-hmm. going with her career. I was very concerned about her medical school debt. Yeah. That was making my nerves bouncy the like whole when time. They, like we, we're probably getting ahead of it. Like when the, when the bursar like comes into her in the middle of the crowded hall, I was just like, like my butthole clenched. <laughs> Cause like, I couldn't believe it when I couldn't believe it played out that way. Who comes out to you and is like, "Oh, hey, by the way, like you haven't paid us." Like no, they take you behind mm-hmm. a door <laughs> and tell you that. Yeah. In my experience, I don't know. <laughs> um that one semester that <laughs> things really got uh back up for me. But I wanted like more money on my meal plan. It literally was a meal plan issue. And then somehow I just didn't pay for college. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you guys, we're going to open up. It's New York. Picture it. New York, 1982. It's a rainy night. Robert Durst is outside with his dog. I believe this is Igor 4. And we're going to pick up at 33 seconds to 309. Can you get these downtown for me? Hey, we don't allow dogs in here. I'm here to report my wife missing. Your name? My name is Robert Durst. Your wife's name? Kathy or Kathleen. What makes you think she's missing? I have not heard from my wife in five days. Five days? Yeah. Which is not completely unusual. My wife is very busy with medical school. The last time I saw her was at our lake house in South Salem. We had an argument, and she asked to go on a train back to Manhattan, so I put her on one. The last time we spoke was later that night when she got home to the apartment. How's your marriage? It's fine. My wife has a drinking problem. She saw a therapist for a while. She stopped that, too. Okay. Uh, We're going to need phone numbers for your immediate relatives. I don't have any. What do you do, Mr. Dix? I am in real estate. My father is... (sighs) Same wonders. How about a photo of your wife? Yeah. Sit down. Sit down. Okay. 
All right. Fill that out for an official missing persons investigation. You got to meet some criteria. You're not there yet. I'll make a few calls and get back to you. In the meantime, if you hear from or you see your wife, you give us a call. Okay. You're running a kennel now, Struck? Who's that? Rich asshole. Just came in to file a missing persons on his wife. Sounds like a runaway spouse situation. What was the guy's name? Durst. Robert Durst. Real estate. Durst. His family owns half of Manhattan. Wow. I'm already, I'm in. I'm already, I'm in this. You guys, while we were uh, just listening to that clip, I did a little bit of research. And apparently, this actor is married to America's sweetheart, Rachel Lee. I saw that. I was like, I feel like I, wow. It's one of those things where I was like, how have I never heard that before? Well, I'll just, I mean, because who, who are these people? Like, in in worlds of news you hear about, like, I don't think <laughs> I've heard. I think Rachel Lee Cook lives a fairly mm-hmm. private life. Um, to put it nicely, I think, okay, I was just thinking while I was watching it, whoever his wife is, his girlfriend is, it must have been fucking hell living with this guy when he was preparing for this role. If I had to hear this voice around the house, like him developing this voice, I I would pass away. I don't think I could handle I it. I couldn't crazy. figure out what the voice was. Like I can I can understand the tick, but I couldn't understand the accent. And that kind of carried its way throughout the whole movie for me, because like he has a friend later on who has a similar accent where I'm like, where the hell is that coming from? Um, it reminded me of, do you remember the movie, the the movie quiz show? Okay. There's a guy who has a Boston accent in there and it sounds similar to Steve in, uh, sex in the city. Yeah. And like, both of them sound a little bit like this. And I'm like, I don't think you're trying to go for a Boston accent. So I don't understand what the accent is doing you know i think that's like a like a brooklyn mm-hmm. accent like a new york accent forget about that <laughs> right i mean there's there are moments where it really does mm-hmm. become very new yorky um he really like falls into it and i think that he might have been trying to toe the line of not having like almost what would be considered like a working class mm-hmm. accent you know where it's like you're so in it that you just have a really thick accent. I don't know much about his education too. I was wondering about that because that would explain, I guess maybe inform like what his accent is really all about, but it was um, sort of all over the place. I mean, he basically just has like, he's a very slow, almost drunk talker with kind of a little bit of a frog voice. Like, it's a sexier version of yeah, Steve I, from I, Sex I think, I think it's, it's that that threw me off because if I'm, if I'm thinking, like, even a rich person from New York um, who has an accent, I'm still thinking, like, Ramona Singer and not, like, right. rock this. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, Ramona, I mean, yeah, how could you compare her to anyone? Yeah, you guys, if you can identify this accent, please send us some ideas. But 
I mean, this scene was, um, you know, I love that he says, um, oh, no, I don't have any family members. And he's like, but my dad and literally pulls out a newspaper with his father's face on it. I was like, dude, I feel like you practiced all the things you needed to get said in this conversation, but you didn't think Mm. about the order to say them in. Because he was like, she has a drinking problem, like out of nowhere. It did seem very, um, like, this is what I'm going to tell the police. It seemed very much like, like in a flip in a flip situation, it would be like the wife in a giant fur coat, like dabbing her eyes, like, no, I don't know where he went, officer. I, I just I've been here all night. It's like a kid coming home from school with <laughs> yeah. like stolen property. And telling mm-hmm. a very bad lie to his parents. That's like overcomplicated. But, you know, Robert, I will say, he calls up her sister or her brother. Sorry. He calls up Kathy's brother, Jim, to tell him that he's filed a missing persons. <laughs> persons re- sorry. I'm going to retake that whole thing, Sammy. <laughs> um, so he calls up Kathy's brother, Jim, and tells him that he filed a missing persons report for her. And he just kind of gets on and off the phone. It was like a, like a network executive, the way he handled that. Like he wasn't listening to the responses. He was like, here's the information. Yep. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Like it was, honestly, I wish I could have that sort I of briefness. That, I thought it, the, so I watched the movie twice. And the first time when I saw it, I thought that he was, that was his accomplice and not her brother. And that he was sort of like, it's done. Click. And then the second time I was like, oh, he's trying to create an alibi and saying to the brother, I filed a missing or persons report, but he's so bad at it that he's just like, I filed a missing persons report. Click. Yeah. I mean, Jim is like, I have a crush on Jim. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about him. The actor who played him. I just was like, God, I feel so safe with you. Like, I feel like you're funny. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could have a good time together. And. Um, you know, he's having a very normal reaction. Kathy was very close to her family and it was just a beautiful picture of how Mm -hmm. off this man is. Um, so then we go back to 1971, New York, and we see Jim, my boy, Jim, helping Kathy move into her place. And she's only a (laughs) dental receptionist, but she's determined to get out of Long Island and make it in Manhattan. She's going to live her she first has moved to single Manhattan. life. She is ready to find love. She is a dental uh, receptionist, hygienist, whatever the whatever the thing is. That all the contestants on the batch on the Bachelor are. Yeah, no, she's just yeah. a receptionist. She just works the desk because remember, oh, she doesn't right. like to see yeah. people in pain. She just shuffles the papers, answers the phones. By the way, I would love to do that job right now. Can I tell you? Oh, my God. I would, if I could be a receptionist, I would like for like a month. Oh, my God. I should start temping once the world reopens. I feel like that's an energy I could use. Just answering some calls, putting post-it notes on things. Not to minimize yeah. the work, but you know I've what I mean. Before. It's um, nice. It gets you like a, a moment of like... um. You don't have to like get caught up in the corporate office, but you still get a chance to like be a part of that for a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See how everyone works. I'm nosy. That's kind of also what it is. Um, but so she's on her grind in her little apartment. It's like she can barely keep up with life, right? Like she's got, you know, she's she's single and she's enjoying it, but her shower is tiny. She's got places to go. She's- <laughs> like it looks like. 
<laughs> I mean, that's what told me mm-hmm. where like, she was at it, in her it life. It looked was like that her shower. head was peeking over the top of the shower curtain, and it was sort of like a wraparound thing. And like I, throughout the whole movie, I was also thinking, like, is Catherine McPhee just taller than I think she is, or are all these men shorter than I think they are? <laughs> And the shower curtain was pretty. Yeah, it's true. Probably both. Yeah, when you find out that Hollywood men yeah. are like shorter than um, expected, that's always like a big um, disappointment in some cases. And also <laughs> huge heads, like gi- physically gigantic actual heads. You have to have a big head to be a movie star. And I have realized more than ever during this entire. Mm-hmm whatever epidemic that we're going through. I don't know why I'm afraid to say certain words, but during COVID, I have realized that I have a fucking pee head. Like I can't get any masks to fit my face. Like they cover me from my neck to my eyes. Yeah. I've been noticing how big my head is with the masks, but I'm also six, three, but then I'm also like sitting there staring at myself in the mirror and wondering why I look like, um, in that movie dick tracy there was like this one guy who had like a giant head but a teeny little face and sometimes i'm looking at myself like why do i have a teeny little face oh wow it's not really it's It's just like you know when you stare at yourself too long and all of a sudden everything starts to like shift yeah i can't really look in the mirror Mm -hmm. much these days i have to be honest i can't do it i'm so like what am i supposed to do look at myself why like why would i do that um, but yeah, so she meets Robert because one day she's, you know, hurrying out the door to go do something and they bump into each other and he grabs her arm very tightly, which is odd. But in mm-hmm. everything about him is sort of odd, but she's very gracious with him, I would say. Um, you definitely get to see all of his personality ticks that are coming through in that scene, sort of like it seems like he's about to talk to himself, but then it turns out he's dialoguing in his head. Like it's a, it's a, um, it's a moment. And you think, God, these are so many things that when you're in a relationship, you look back and you're like, I should have known the first time I bumped into him in that hallway. And he grabbed my arm in a weird way. And was like, do they do, do a really good job at the beginning of starting the line between this guy is raising a hundred million red flags versus he's socially awkward versus he might be on the spectrum. Like, yeah, that's been a reoccurring theme in a lot of the movies we've done lately. Actually, um, we've been seeing that that's been, yeah. True crime involves a lot of people that are, are like, you mm-hmm. know, seem foreign to the average person. So, from there, we cut back to, or we cut forward, I guess, to 1982, and the missing persons report has turned into a full-blown investigation. The doorman tells the detective that he saw Kathy that night. She disappeared around, um, she disappeared around 11. So, oh no, he saw her the yeah. night she disappeared around 11. Yeah. There you go, Molly. Um <laughs> And she was alone. The two of them rarely come and go together. Had, They're always doing their own thing. I had a minor issue with their apartment and their the place where their apartment was and a lot of things about their apartment. I could go on in a whole ramp, but basically, like, for as rich as he is, that was a very tiny foyer entryway um, with, like, the front doorman being yeah. right by the elevator. And then later on, they say it's supposed to be at 45th Avenue and 12th or 45th street and 12th Avenue, which is like almost into the Hudson river. And I was just like, it was one of those things where 
if I didn't live in New York, it would be fine. Like, I'm sure if like if I wrote a script and I was like, yeah, I live in LA and I'm going to go like down La Cienega until I hit El Camino, like everybody in LA would be like, what is wrong with you? Right. So wait, so does when you say it's almost into the Hudson River, are you saying like, it's poor real estate and they wouldn't have a doorman or are you saying like that's it's, a shitty place to live? Like, what do you, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Cause I don't know. I am New York deaf. I know nothing about it. I never, I go and I have no idea what's going on. It's really far from everything. So the closest subway station is going to be, um, eighth Avenue and 43rd street. So you're having to walk four Avenue blocks. So that's like a 20 minute walk to get to any subway station. Um, but the, if they're rich enough, they're probably taking taxis everywhere. It's also a very, it's part of Hell's Kitchen. So like in the seventies and eighties, it was a lot of brownstones in a, and warehouses in a not great neighborhood. But now it's like where like Hudson Yards is, is, um, being built up just south of that area. So now there's a lot of like newer construction going on. Um, it's a pl- basically like, like at the time they're in, in the 1970s, I don't think they would be moving there um, with as much money and prestige as he has for his family. It's, it's that type of thing. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I figured I figured that that's what you were saying. I mean, this is the thing about Robert Durst. We yeah. don't know that he lives in that building. Like there's no proof he lives in that building. But two, I think that he kind of wouldn't mm-hmm. be too picky about something like that. Yeah, I guess I would have thought that he, he would have been more life, of like you know? a Greenwich Village type of person so that even if he is or or maybe even East Village so that even if he is like I want to like I want to get away from my dad cuz he made me cut my hair, he can still like have a penthouse apartment in like the artsy part of town as opposed to like there's literally nobody around me. Yeah. Yeah, especially considering his social scene, because we're going to see, you know, I mean, he really seduces her with his lifestyle for sure. And he comes to her apartment door back in 1971. Kathy is, you know, has no idea what's about to happen to her. She's (laughs) painting her apartment bright yellow when Robert comes by and tells her that he's there for the rent. And she was like, you know, caught off guard because she just thought he was the weird guy from the hallway. Um, And then he's like, but would you like to have lunch with me? Like the way he (laughs) says it is so aggressive that like you either have to think, oh my God, the poor guy needs a friend or I can't go. I can't be anywhere near this man like restraining uh, yeah, order that time. really especially since he is the the landlord like he's like i need the rent do you want to go to lunch it's like is this going to reduce my rent at all is that what you're asking <laughs> yeah i this think is, the rent doesn't he lie. say that he owns everything he said i think he said he he's the landlord or something yeah, he's I'm like the i'm the landlord and we're gonna go to lunch at this place like i own like he, he does that It's really just a series of (laughs) rapid red flags. But like when you're young like this, like I would have not at all known that Mm -hmm. that was that. I'd be like, oh, my God, this is the life. Like they go to a private sort of or they go to like basically Mm -hmm. a a place where people would go take a power lunch, like Wall Street sort of thing, but richer. And the family has a table there. But 
you know, this restaurant knows Mr. Durst and they are not letting him in if he does not have a tie and jacket on. And the maitre d' is very firm with him about that. Mm. And of course, you know, Robert Durst is a prick for this because he's picking on some kid (laughs) who works at this place, probably makes, you know, four dollars an hour given the time period. And they're like, no, you can't come in. And um, Kathy can sort of see that he's ramping up and we get this really (laughs) odd close up of the major profile (laughs) where two two thirds of the screen is like just empty. It's like soft focus. And then he's slack jawed like he's mouth breathing in this shot. And I'm like, dude, this is your this is your close up. There were a couple of those like weird close ups and this is definitely one of the first ones. There might have been one with the police department, but yeah, you're just like, why are we staring up his nose? Right, right. Um, so she decides, okay, like we're gonna go do something else. And what go do something else means for Robert is he's a huge pothead. Like that's another thing. I love that he <laughs> is calling her a drunk because this guy never doesn't have a joint in his hand, including when he mm. was arrested. They found like five pounds yeah, of weed on him. Be a little bit more like mellow, 60. but I don't say my, my dad, like he has some anger issues, but I also know that like he used to be a big pothead and he turned that into drinking for a long time. God, that was dark. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't mean it to be like therapy session, but like, you know, That's he's still fine. working through a lot of that stuff and he's no longer drinking, but like, I can Im- just imagine like what he was like on pot and what that was doing. And that's why he started drinking a lot, you know? Yeah. Cause it yeah. repressed something. It numbed him out. I mean, I think Robert definitely knew his demons mm-hmm. and I don't think he liked that about himself, but I think, I think a part of him did and the pot in his mind maybe kept that at bay a little bit, <laughs> but that's a lot of projection. I don't know. Um, so we're going to play this scene right here where we first really see kind of how they interact. Um, we're going to hear Robert's thoughts on Times Square and we're going to hear some barking. So let's uh, listen to nine minutes and 21 seconds to 11 minutes and two seconds. Let's just, let's just go. Let's go. She is more like it. Not beautiful scenery. Got nobody telling us what to do. Did I tell you that I opened a health food store in Vermont? Really? Yeah, I did. I got homemade granola. I got sunflower seeds. I got... You don't don't seem like a health man. Yeah, you're not the first person in the world to say that. My father hates the whole idea, too. Wants to see me in a suit and tie, but you know... That is my father. That's him, not me. You know what I mean, Actually, I don't. I lost my father years ago. I watched my mother die. It's a horrible accident. I'm so sorry. She was magic. You know, my father's got all these buildings and makes these speeches about how he wants to clean up Times Square, but I'm telling you, his places, the dumps are all filled with, like, hookers and pimps, and my opinion, the whole place is going to the dogs. Just to the dogs. (laughs) 
Yeah. I like the sound of your door. I mean, that's as bad as vicious as it yeah. gets. Yeah. <laughs> all right so i would say more red flags yeah i've never had a guy bark on a date but yeah that would be that's up there so that's like i would (laughs) consider to be like you know single girls have it rough single straight girls have it rough because a lot of guys there's rubs like this dude like they are just you you always expect anyone i guess to be sort of damaged goods a little bit but guys are rough because like there's always you know you're always making excuses for them so like part of you might be like i don't know the the dog barking thing is really weird but maybe that's a sense of humor right like so you give them that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then also you just got kicked out of a restaurant and he's smoking a joint on what seems to be your first date. That That's pretty rough. It's it's like whenever I'm walking around um, my neighborhood and I see there's usually like a couple and like she's put together and she's wearing a mask and she's got like a little bottle of hand sanitizer clipped to her belt or whatever. And then he's wearing like cargo shorts that go below the knee and some sort of like heavy metal shirt and has really bad facial hair and is not wearing a mask. I kind of want to be just like, I think you can do better. (laughs) Oh yeah. And then of course, like, I mean, not all straight men, of course, not to overly generalize, but most straight men do not go to therapy. Like they have not done any of the work that most of us functioning out in the world have done or at least attempted to do. So it's always a lot of like it's a sort of treasure chest of broken emotions that lives in any straight man in my experience. But I would say the most jarring thing to me in this scene was when she it's sort of brought out of her that her father died and he goes, my mother killed herself or whatever he said. I watched (laughs) my mother die. Yeah, he watched his mother die because it it was like a lie or something about like she fell down the stairs and then like his brother has to be like, no, she like killed herself. Like that whole thing happens. Yeah. But like at no point does this man ask her any questions about what happened to her dad, like anything. Of course, maybe that's not the area you want to pry in. But then that's where you ask about her mom Mm -hmm. or the rest of her family or her support system. Like that's how you get to know a person in my mind. Like you don't just (laughs) top top their trauma with your next trauma. Like, I don't know. But he won't ask about her at all. Like he doesn't ask her a personal question for several more scenes. I don't even th- like at this point in time, all we really know is that, I mean, even from like the movie standpoint, which is definitely following him. We only, we know, we barely know she has a brother. Like we don't even really know their relationship that much. And it's just like, yeah, yeah he's like sitting there like spread out over the stairs. Like it's his bed. And there's no, what was your family like? What did you do during the summer? What did you like, you know, do you have any siblings? Just like, yo, my mom killed herself. Yeah. I know. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. No, it's like, it's a bizarre one-upping kind of situation. Like it's, it's felt like he was like waiting for her to say something like that. So he could like drop that. Totally. Oh my God. Yeah. I've been on dates with guys like literally who have started crying about stuff like that on the first date. And I'm like, oh, dude, like, 
I don't know. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't sign up for all this. Like, oh I'm so God. sorry though. But like, yeah, there definitely are people that cannot wait to sell you on whatever it is bad that happened to them. I will also point out what a fucking dick this guy is to be sprawled across the steps. Like you said, like literally he's laying here like a dog himself saying that everyone in Times Square is a dog. All the hookers, he calls them all yeah. the homeless people. Dogs. But then here's this fucking loser spread out on the sidewalk because he got kicked out of a restaurant, <laughs> smoking a joint on a first date, treating a girl to a cup of coffee and a hot dog. Right. And, and what I, I, I'm assuming it was supposed to be the Toronto version of Bryant Park. But um, yeah, like there was nothing. The, the whole thing about Times Square 2 bothered me just because like. Like his father wants to clean it up, which is what eventually happens. But then, like, he's sitting there degrading it the whole time. And so, like, dude, you are exactly the type of person who goes there. So, like, what even? Yeah. Uh, that sounds like something his parents told him. And he just runs with that narrative. Mm. Um, but yeah, so. Robert talks to the detective in 1982 because they are doing that full investigation now. He says they never got physical when they argued. Um, and he was just in, you know, Connecticut inspecting some properties the day after she went missing. So we go back to 1971 where Robert shows up to Kathy's door holding a yellow dress and he tells her to put it on. Something that I think only happens in movies. I hope. Well, every time I've seen it happen on a TV show, like not or every time I've seen it happen on reality TV, um, the guy either knows her well enough to know her size and what she likes, or it's really, really awkward. Like I've been watching for the first time real housewives of New York. And like when Bethany gets lingerie from her friend Lee or Frank, whatever his name is. Dude, <laughs> I know. And it's just like, what even is this? <laughs> when her father's friend gives her lingerie at the yeah. racetrack for her birthday. Yeah, that there was a lot of what even is this about the whole thing. But, you know, you see that in movies where like a girl comes and she like takes the top off of a box and it's a beautiful satin dress. This guy is picked out for her. There's nothing about that. I would trust a guy to do for me ever. I never want a guy to pick out my clothes no. for me. Um, but yeah, so they're going to this fabulous 70s underground club where there's like painted nude models and celebrities it's like Farrah. Prudence Pharaoh. Yes. Prudence name. I feel like they couldn't even like drop other celebrity names. They like, you know, it couldn't be like, like, oh, yeah, Andy Warhol comes here all the time. And over there, there's Prudence Pharaoh. It, it's like it was just Prudence Pharaoh. <laughs> Well, I think it's because I, I agree. They could have sprinkled in some more of that. But I think it's because Prudence comes back in his mm -hmm. life a little bit at the end of the movie. Um, and I guess we had to see her to like know what it was all <laughs> worth. Um, as if John Lennon writing a song about you isn't enough. But he finally asks her what she does for a living. This is when it happens. They're at this club. And he's like, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> That's like, I mean, it's like going to like a, a sex dungeon and being like, so who's your <laughs> dentist? Um, so she's like, yeah, I'm a dental assistant. And he's like, oh, you like seeing people in pain? And she says, no, I want to be a nurse eventually. And he tells her, oh, I'm in pain. I need yeah, a nurse. I couldn't tell how, like, 
because there, there was also like this weird condescension so you can't tell like where he's trying to be like flirting and failing and when he's being an asshole like it's not like oh you want to put me in pain don't you versus like how dare you judge other people's pain like you know <laughs> i think he i think he was saying it because he enjoys it and he doesn't necessarily realize that that's a weird mm-hmm. take on the dental <laughs> industry true and i think this is like not too far from um like rudolph the red-nosed reindeer where dental dental work is like weird and painful I don't know why that's my frame yeah. of reference. Oh, Herbie. <laughs> I know. You're like, oh, well, we didn't have Herbie yet. So, like, people are still scared of the dentist. Yeah. I don't- <laughs> I'm a fucking grown adult and I'm so scared of the dentist. I've had Herbie my whole life, honey. I was like, my dentist, uh, yeah, I haven't had a cleaning in a while. And, like, it's, it's, it's that, li- it's just because of COVID. And it's that whole thing of, like, at what point in time does the fear overcome the, like, that like I need to go to the dentist versus I'm afraid all of my teeth are about to fall out. <laughs> I'm dying that you yeah. said this was before <laughs> Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. So he probably thought dentist meant pain. <laughs> Unbelievable. You he does belong on the island of misfit toys, though <laughs> yeah. I will say. Robert does. Yeah. Um so yeah, they kiss at this point. And he's like, you know what? Come work for me at my health food store in Vermont. <laughs> Which, by the way, I love this. He's like, get off of your potentially hugely successful and life-changing medical career. Okay, you could literally save lives, but you could also save lives homopathically at my health food <laughs> store we in Vermont. have, like, the best brewer's yeast and... Oh God, what else did we used to like? Cause my parents used also used to go to like Whole Foods back when Whole Foods was like the hippy dippy store and not like whole paycheck. And it was just like bins of brewers yeast and organic beans and like yeah. God knows what else. And like not stuff you really wanted to eat. <laughs> yeah, no, Whole Foods was really gross when we were kids. And I also I want to point out that I think I just said homopathic <laughs> instead of homeopathic. And guys, as much as I do these podcasts, not talking to people in real life has really taken a toll on my vocabulary and overall mental <laughs> sharpness. I pretty much just work, watch TikTok, go to sleep and watch Lifetime movies. So that's about it. Um, p- uh, so pardon me in general for like, I think the dumbass things I've said over quarantine. I can't even listen to these episodes back because if I thought I was bad before, I, I don't know how you guys I are hanging in. I didn't even Thank notice you. because oh, I am oh, also in like a state of of covid i guess you could call it yeah (laughs) no i haven't it's just that whole like like i'm working from home um in my spare time i'm either podcasting or i'm watching reality tv or i'm not talking to people occasionally i go outside to go to the grocery store and then i just like glare at everybody because they're all standing too close to me so Human inter I haven't had human interaction in a while, so I totally get it, is what I'm saying. Um, well, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. the way to go. I think it's nice to just cut off the human interaction and accept that we might yeah. not have it for a while, especially if you live in California. Stay the fuck at home. I'm dead ass serious. I'm never mm-hmm. gonna see my family again. Like I haven't been yeah. home in a year already. So um he 
she goes. She's going to Vermont and they get there. He's like, you know, his store mm-hmm. does look kind of cute, TBH. Um, and she comes with Igor too. That's his dog. So he has a dog named Igor, but he always has a dog named Igor. No matter what the dog is, he he blows <laughs> through Igors. Like, and we're on the right like, now. It, it, the amount of dog abuse in this movie or implied dog abuse like took me off guard. I was really not expecting that. Like yeah yeah i mean what else could you expect with a character like this like they love you know but i was also like he igor's he his igor's mm-hmm. are big dogs like they're all they're all really big and i'm like you want to tangle with that like i would never take on a dog like that they all look sort of like wolf-esque like a dog that can yeah, fuck I you up they, is what I, I'm I couldn't tell if they were akitas or huskies because they looked bigger than a husky and i used i had a roommate who had an akita and that dog was the size of a horse like she was at least 98 pounds. Like she had like a playful growl, like, you know, Oh, come and play with me. That sounded like she was about to eat you, (laughs) but she was like the most wonderful dog ever. Like I absolutely loved her. She was so sweet, but I would never want to be on her bad side. (laughs) No, no. Like God, I mean, he, I mean, and he had many Mm -hmm. Igors, as I said. So I guess he was, you know, very brave man or still is. He's 77 rocking it out. Um, So (laughs) they have a cozy little life together. But one day a woman comes into the store and she gives Kathy a flyer for a missing girl and she hangs it up. And Robert's like, oh, depressing, bad for business. And Kathy is like, I mean, I don't know. I could see how I would justify Mm -hmm. that to myself. I'd be like, oh, he's like emotionally detached. Like, I guess it is kind of depressing. And it's probably not great for business if there's someone snatching people around here. Not the normal reaction. I couldn't tell if he was trying, if if he was like, if he, if they were trying to say that he had snatched the girl who was missing and therefore didn't want the reminder, or if he was just sort of like, this was his like, no capes, like, Nothing depressing in the health food store. I think he was. Um, I think mm-hmm. it was okay. sort of implied that he did. I mean, how else could it not be? Like, what's his deal? <laughs> At this point in time, who knows? <laughs> so, um, Igor goes missing. Um, Igor, too, goes missing. And Kathy is hysterical about this. But Robert is very calm. Um, He starts barking at the top of his lungs in the middle of the woods as they're looking for him. And Kathy, (laughs) she snaps. Okay, she's done. She's like, stop it. Stop. It's not funny. And he finally like he's like, oh, okay, sorry. And but, you know, he heard her the first time. Whatever it is about Robert and his barks, it really it's on a spiritual level with him. It digs deep. I would yeah, love to know barks, the answer. To and, that. They, and they come back and like, yeah, I, I mean, it, it annoyed me. So I can definitely see how it annoyed other people. So like, is everyone a dog or is he a dog or are the were all the Igors practice for killing other dogs? I, like, meaning like, you know, the people in Times Square and potentially his wife? I personally think it was just a matter of it was annoying to other people and it was something for him easy to do. Um, you don't ever, are you a Drag Race fan? Do you ever watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Sometimes. Okay. In season two, there was an episode where um, one of the queens just like puts on her headphones and just starts singing Beyonce off key at the top of her lungs while everybody else is looking and they all hated it. And so she kind of had this whole like, 
like I was just singing along to my favorite artist. I don't know what all of you were so mad at, but it was very clear that it was like, no, you were annoying. It, you knew you were annoying everybody and you kept with it. I think it was like that. Was it? Because I have seen that clip many times. <laughs> I watch a lot of compilations. I should probably say that. I go straight to the compilations because sometimes competition shows mm-hmm. can be a little grueling for me. Um, I also like do that with Project Runway. Except I, I watch and then I skip a lot of the at the apartment drama because who cares? Um, well, yeah, no, I, that makes sense. Yeah. You just want to see the the runway. <laughs> so was that taking place like in let's using Pro- Project Runway as an example? Um, was that taking place like when they're in the final crunch of like sewing together dresses on the models? Is that when sh- the queen was doing Beyonce? Yeah, this would have been like if they had just come in on on a Project Runway level. If this was a two day challenge, this would have been like like the morning they come in. And they're all behind and they weren't able to finish last night and they still are going to have to do hair and makeup, but they have like two hours to get the dress finished. And then does Tim Gunn come in and do a challenge twist? <laughs> I don't remember in this one. <laughs> it's something to do with like wedding dresses, but yeah. <laughs> um. So Robert throws away Igor's food bowls when he gets home because it's very clear. Like when he's done with something, he just gets rid of it. and. He knows Igor's not coming home. Um, And then he goes to work early the next day and goes to the missing persons flyer. And I don't know if he's like jacking (laughs) off to it. I don't, I'm not really clear what's going on there, but when Kathy gets to work, the flyer is completely slashed and Robert is out back chopping wood and talking to himself. And it's very scary. Yeah. Ah, that, 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 yeah, it, 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 Watching a guy chop wood can either be really sexy or really scary. And this, like, it was giving me, like, the witch vibes. This was one of the most nerve-wracking moments in the whole movie. Well, because it's one of those things where, like, if you're a kid, right, they tell you, don't touch a firework. Like, you don't want to fuck around with fireworks because it'll blow your hand off. So you just live your entire life trying not to touch fireworks. I feel that way about axes, Mm -hmm too where it's like a visceral thing where i'm like ah oh my god stay like 10 feet away like maybe don't even stand there like you're just not supposed to go near Mm -hmm. someone with an axe especially if they're um (laughs) irrational in that moment and he was definitely irrational and then like i didn't understand why she was i i I guess like at this point in time he hadn't really shown a lot of the um a lot of the ticks that he was going to show later because she kind of comes out with the thing, like what's going on. And then he's like, while he's like irrationally chopping, um, whereas irrational wood chopping. Yeah. Like me watching it. I kind of want to be all like, no, don't talk to him right now. Right. So yeah. the reason why he's so upset besides probably the missing persons flyer is that his dad wants him to come back to New York and work for him. And he's like, I don't want to, but I need the money someday. And he keeps referring to his dad as that guy, which does not seem to bother Kathy, where I, I would be like, hmm, you seem very removed from this man um, that I haven't heard you say anything negative about so far. Um, but Kathy's like, well, you have me. And they kiss. So <laughs> the detectives find out that Kathy already had a divorce lawyer, apparently. Durst wouldn't agree to a settlement. Um, and there's five or six dogs that have disappeared on him over the years. So 
suddenly there's this commotion that's going on inside of the squad room, which, by the way, these New York City, you would believe there was no crime in New York City in 1982 based off of it. Like, honestly, record-breaking, no crime, make Times Square more dirty, sort of empty in this station. So... Um, yeah, Kathy's girlfriends from school have all showed up to defend her. We're going to play this like minute long scene. I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with all of these women. <laughs> they, they're fantastic throughout the whole film. 1923 to 2038. We're her best friends. Why has no one talked to us? Yeah, it's complete incompetence. Yeah. yeah. We're investigating. Investigating what? Isn't it obvious that he did it? Have you traced their calls? We're waiting on those records. It's been a month. Ladies, we're doing everything we can. Oh, come on. Kathy was afraid that Bobby would kill her. Yeah. Have you even searched their South Salem house? No, because my jurisdiction is New York City, where she was last seen alone. No, she was never even in New York. We have a witness who says he saw her at the penthouse. No, I don't believe it. I was on that train for days, handing out her picture, asking if anyone had seen her, and nobody did. And look, I found this in his trash. You went through his garbage? Yeah, I did, the day I knew she was gone. You realize what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I do. I'm doing your job. 10 a.m. Richfield Coffee, 2 p.m. Mott Boots. Tuesday, 7 a.m. South Salem. This is an itinerary. Yeah. For an alibi. He was throwing out her letters unopened the day after she disappeared. So that piques his interest. They are acting. Like acting with a K. (laughs) Yeah. These girls turned it out. Especially the one in the middle. uh, The one Mm -hmm. who's like her really close friend that she meets the first day of school. That bitch is like her real bitch. Like they are really good friends, dude. Like that's Mm -hmm. her real best friend. She's like digging through the trash to like (laughs) find things. Yeah, but police are so like this is always the thing, especially probably at the time. But they're like unopened mail. Oh, that does mean something. Well, like you come to my house if you want to find some fucking unopened mail. There's unopened <laughs> mail on every available surface in my home. <laughs> like I, it's just always so lame to me. I'm like, we're solving a murder here, and we're talking about unopened mail. So, um, Kathy and Robert um, head out to his dad's house where Robert grew up. Um, for a little family catch-up time. And I want to play this scene with Robert's dad. It's another short one because I think that a lot of the supporting characters in this movie are really the best part of it. They got some good people. Um, okay, so this clip is going to be 2053 to 2143. Let's have a toast. My sons, it's good to have you home. There is a, um, a traditional order to things. My father passed this company on to me. One day, I will pass it on to you. In order for me to do that, you will learn the business as I did, from the bottom up. But first, go get your hair cut. <laughs> this foolishness ends now. <laughs> you look like a gaggle of dropouts. Pardon me. Jesus. What? Bobby. 
Thank you, Pop. Thank you. I mean, first of all, this house looks impossible to clean. Yeah, it it reminded there was something extremely lifetimey about the house like it didn't it didn't look like somebody something that an old family in the 70s would have been living in but it looked very lifetime mansion if i found out that my boyfriend's dad was a billionaire and i was going to his childhood home and i pulled up to this i'd be like oh wow what a humble like childhood you have yeah versus like oh but i mean i can never tell if they're trying to like be like she's you know, from Long Island. She doesn't know about all this stuff. Um, and they are, it, it, they are very fancy. Like this is, you know, the champagne. I was, I was humbled by the champagne. Um, but Doug is important to like, I would say that Doug is normal. Like Doug isn't anything special. Like he's not like Emily on the Hills where he like swoops in and he's like this perfect intern. No, he's just like a guy. Like he's, this man's most capable son. And um, he does not need a haircut in my mind. Yeah. I mean, he had a very like 2000s, um, like swoopy hairdo that didn't seem. It was a super cut. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the haircut line was like more for Robert, but with the assumption that the like that Doug, the other brother, is going to go ahead and get his haircut as well, just to just because, like, if I can do it, so can you, right? Right, yeah. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed the burp, I thought that was sort of flirty, like a different sense of humor from him, still disrespectful on brand, but great scene. So, we then go to the detectives who are like, I've been humping this case for over a month, hmm. that's the first line. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard it referred to as humping a case before, <laughs> but he says he can't believe they made no progress. The Durst family's being really unhelpful with all of this. Um, and so they decide to call him to see if they can get a polygraph test, uh, a polygraph test. Sorry, but he's already lawyered up. Um, the lawyer's like, why would I agree to that? No. So they're fucked in, in that capacity because once a very rich person is lawyered up, good luck. Um so then we go back to spend some time at the Durst Manor, I guess. And Kathy runs into Doug, his brother. And this is where he tells her that, you know, Robert's, you know, someone who kind of like will disappear for a few days. Um, they kind of don't really come around to this house much because it's where his mother committed suicide. And this is where she's like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, my, you know, and she just sort of like, br they brush past it. We never really find out. I personally am not really sure if he killed his mom or not, because I kind of feel like Robert Durst might have done that. Yeah, there did. I, okay. I think they were trying to imply the history of mental illness in the family. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Possible. Um, and then he, you know, says basically like, you know, it's hard to know what's real and what isn't with him. I mean, Doug is basically telling her to be careful without telling her to be careful. Mm -hmm. While he's putting on his tracksuit. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's probably going out to play tennis or something rich. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so Kathy calls Jimmy and they have this, they're having a big barbecue um, in Long Island. And he says he wishes that he could be with her, especially because it's her birthday. And she has this like, look almost as if she forgot it was her birthday. 
And she's like, oh, um, well, you know, say hi to everyone. And, you know, everything's going great with Bobby. Don't worry about me. So then he comes home and he's brought a present for her. And she's like, where the hell have you been? You've been gone for days. And he's like, don't worry about it. I got you a birthday present. He gives her this box and she opens it. And it looks like a small belt at first. And I thought it was a cheap belt (laughs) until... He clarified that it's a dog collar um, and she I, I guess she assumed this was a cruel joke because Igor is no longer with us. Or do you think she thought it was sexual? I got the impression sexual at first. Like once she realized, like, I guess like I guess part of me was like once she opened it, I was like, oh, that's a dog collar. Oh, he probably got her. I got her another dog. And I didn't understand why she was sad about everything. Because, like, Igor, too, just died. Yeah, it seemed like a cruel joke. Okay. I didn't realize that, like, they had had the Igor, too, who had just died. I thought, like, there was still some time had been removed from um, from the one that disappeared till now. I know he has a throwaway line no. about, like, technically this is the third since the other one got hit by a car. And I was like... I feel like we're going through a lot of dogs right now. Yeah. yeah. So he brings out Igor three and she's like, oh, my God, what's his name? He's like Igor. And she's like another dog named Igor, like e- the second Igor. And he- he's like, oh, no, this is the first Igor got hit by a car. <laughs> so we're on Igor three right now. Yeah. Uh, my mind first went to like, oh, this is going to get kinky and she's offended. But um, I like, oh, no, it's a dog collar. That's it. Okay. This is that makes more sense. I mean, it was like a a black leather dog collar. I, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that would be comfortable for the dog, but I've never been a dog, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, Robert surprises her with this like brand new penthouse in the city, and it's absolutely insane. Like, probably would be like five grand a month minimum. What it, ten grand? <clears throat> what does that apartment cost in New York? It would. I mean, now forget it. Yeah. But- <laughs> Now it would be like one of those places that you would have when I worked for a high end condo association, something like that would probably be at least 2 million with, um, especially for where it is. I think that might, the other thing is it's so far away. It'd be at least 2 million, um, probably with management fees alone being 5,000 a month. And that's on top of like your mortgage and your garage payment uh, or garage fee and every other fee in existence that you have to pay to live in in lower manhattan um wow i mean must be nice dude right? that's and by the way like i get it that i in my mind i love new york but i think the biggest place i've been in besides like once staying in like a tribeca one of those gigantic tribeca places that are in fucking insane one of my friends parents bought those right when they first opened Mm -hmm. so like that was like insane that's one way to do new york my friend has a place in washington heights her apartment was so gigantic i've never seen someone own an apartment like or rent an apartment like that in new york i have never seen 
that much space in one place before. But for me to move to New York, I would need to be able to be that rich. Like I would like to be that rich to live in New York. I don't think I could, I could live in a cramp. I love a cramped space, but I also don't love a cramped space. That makes sense. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I live in not Manhattan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. So, then we um, meet the best person in this whole fucking movie. I mean, she's honestly like, I can't tell you how excited I am for you guys to meet her. Susan Berman. Now, she's not a great person in theory, but in this movie, she is such a breath of fresh air. I cannot tell you how much I love her. Um, she's going to swing by uh, to have a drink with Kathy Bob and Kathy's brother, Jim, my boyfriend, 2636 to 2812. How can I help you? Susan Berman for Robert and Kathy Durst. Hey, Susan, tell my brother about some of those crazy stories. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a writer, mainly nonfiction. I started as a reporter, but now I write mainly about my life. My father was a gangster. So Susie's father was um, Bugsy Siegel's, right? So mm -hmm. when Bugsy got whacked, her father took over the whole deal, isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Wow. So how do you two know each other? They went to college together. Yeah. yeah, Bobby is my oldest, very best friend. I would lay down in traffic for this guy. <laughs> hmm. Well, growing up in a mob, that must have been interesting. Mm-hmm. My father was a wonderful man. I never actually knew what he did until I was much older. But, you know, I didn't exactly have a normal childhood. My mother made me duck in the limo driving through Las Vegas, and I could never understand why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bobby! Bobby, I didn't tell you. I went to see a psychic last week. She said that I was going to die by a bullet. Can you believe that? I've always been afraid of dying violently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like your life, Susie. What are you talking about? Yeah. I should get back to Long Island. What, do you got to get home, update that tackle box, Jim? That's right, Bob. That is, that is exactly right. Uh, well, it was nice meeting you. Look out for my book. I'm going to call it Easy Street by Susan Berman. What do you think, Bobby? Okay. Thanks for coming. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. She's, uh... <laughs> so much. They're fun. Come on. All right. I love you. I love you, too. Okay, so this is like for me a perfect example of like why I don't think it's necessarily fair to like the autistic community to assume that he might be like, oh, okay, like he's neuroatypical, like he might be part of that community because like I think that happens a lot when people are trying to identify like social skills that they don't recognize in someone. But like, as you can see in this scene, he's pretty socially fluent. He's just a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he hangs. I mean, this Susan chick, she's seen some shit. Yeah. I was reading her Wikipedia and apparently she went to high school at the Chadwick school in Palo Verdes. And she was like friends with Liza Minnelli. Wow. Yeah. So did she not really grow up in Vegas? Uh, she did grow. She went. She grew up in Vegas and then moved to LA. Okay, yeah, because like, what's up with growing up in Vegas? I know that people who are are from there don't go to the Strip, but mm -hmm. then I'm like, why? Why are you there then? I can't imagine growing up in Vegas, and I have seen. I mean, like between episodes of Sister Wives and Ninety Day Fiance, I feel like you see quite a bit of life in Vegas that has nothing to do with the Strip. And it seems kind of terrible and hot. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and boring and flat. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't with that part of the country. And like, I respect people who can. I really do. Cause like, it's, I'm just not meant for it. But um, I will say that Kathy's brother, again, just seemed really jarred by S- Susan being like, yeah, my dad was a great guy. Like immediately after saying that he was a mobster that was probably involved in a lot of murders. And that just sort of shows her mindset. I feel like you meet people who have mob ties or like, I don't know, I've met some people in my life. And they're, it's always about like what good people they are you hear a lot and i'm like i don't know dude i feel like that kind of cancels out (laughs) any other like picking you up from soccer practice like i don't think murdering people like i don't think they cancel (laughs) each other out yeah that's that's fair i think (laughs) it's like but kathy's fam oh go ahead did you watch mcmillions i i saw the i saw parts of it but um I it wasn't compelling enough for me because I kind of knew the story. Okay, I didn't know the story beforehand, and so watching it, there was a lot of like mob related stuff, and there were a lot of people that just seemed kind of like nice, friendly family people, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know, um, but yeah, then Johnny had his little like thing over there, and he like had a strip club that he like took his wife to, but then they got into a fight, and then they shot up everybody and left. And you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. why is that rolling off your tongue? That should be traumatic. Well, oddly enough, though, that new um, what was it? That new documentary or whatever, Fierce City on Netflix, that just came out a couple of weeks ago. That has my grandpa's cousin in it. <laughs> <sighs> Is that about the mob? Yeah, because um, he ran the Lucchese crime family in the 60s. So it's a, I mean, they profile him in it. So. That's better than David's Catherine McPhee story, I'm just going to say. <laughs> like, not to throw you under the bus, dude, but I feel like that's a closer connection. It's okay. Um, I have other connections, but nothing <laughs> like... <laughs> nothing like Joe's... Uh, family mob connections. <laughs> I have other connections. Okay. Well, no, I, sorry, um, I, <laughs> I believe you. I went to high school. Like I went to an all boys high school, and at the all girls high school, uh, Alexis Bladell went to high school there, and <laughs> I went to acting school with Ray Fisher, who's in was in the DC movies. Okay, now I sound okay, like I'm like are very connected. throwing out <laughs> names out there. Like, no, I'm connected too. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like not like overly proud of this connection. This isn't like I know. <laughs> Joe's grandpa's cousin was in a Netflix documentary. <laughs> not that big of a deal. <laughs> but also, none of it's that big of a deal, honestly. In life, none of it's that big of a deal. Um so, um, family, Kathy's family, um, is meeting with Mr. Durst and begging him for some kind of help with all of this. And they just want to know why Robert is dragging her in the papers saying that she did drugs and was an alcoholic or whatever. Um, and before they can really like get him to say any more, Doug comes in and ends the discussion before it can keep going. And I think at this point we're supposed to take it that he's not mentally all there. Doug or the father? The father. I kind of read that scene as like the father just didn't give a shit. Um, yeah. 
Because have we we haven't no. seen the wedding, have we yet? No, I don't think we have. No, no, yeah, no. But that happened. This is after, yeah. like, so this is 1982. Yeah, when he's eating his cup of soup <laughs> yeah. at the head of the board table, yeah. and then his son is like, "You can't participate in this meeting, Dad. Get out of here." Okay. Yeah, he seemed to be like with it enough, but like at that like doddering old man phase of his life. Yeah, he yeah. needs a soup. He just a soup. That's yeah. it. Just a cup of soup to hold him over till dinner. This soup's not um, hot enough. <laughs> so uh, Robert gets his hair cut short for work, and when the barber turns him around, Kathy looks like horrified, I guess. <laughs> and then he's like, "Am I not handsome?" And it's really more about the face he's making than the haircut not being attractive on him. Yeah, the way that they uh, and. I don't think this is what was going on through Catherine Fee's Catherine McPhee's head, head or the or like the character, but he looked a lot like uh, Ted Bundy. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's right. I don't know if it's a reference to it, but it, I didn't know what we were supposed. There's a lot of things in this movie yeah. where I'm like, what am I supposed to take from this? Yeah. Um, Maybe this but, is the start of like a shared serial killer universe. Because <laughs> like the barking, maybe he's actually the son of Sam's dog and it all connects. Now you're thinking, now we're really cooking with fire, with gas over here. I'm fucking thrilled, dude. I'm fucking, I, I can't believe you just connected that for me. And we're going to chase that throughout this. Um, so at this moment with his bad haircut, he tells her that he wants to marry her. He's the best version of himself when he's with her. And I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that really mean? <laughs> that sounds. Yeah. And he does her like this stupid hair flip thing. Like, like this is our song. And then he like throws her around and it, I don't know why that hair flip stuck with me, but it did. So then we go to this wedding. Okay, the saddest wedding in the world. It takes place in a traditional church, but it's like literally if Harry and Meghan got married with just like Meghan's mom and, and Prince Charles there. Like it was a gigantic, almost cathedral ass looking place. And she's there in her like 70s dress and looks really lovely. And I don't know, her mom just looks so like she's hoping for the best and knows this is insane. And his dad is fuming. Um, so. After this, then they go to, I guess, one of those dining room type places, mm -hmm. maybe the place they have a table. And I cannot believe that this is their wedding, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> and I can't figure, I still can't figure out why the dad is furious. Like, because we've never seen him be overly antagonistic towards um, Kathy, towards Kathy. Yeah. And uh, it, hmm. oh. like, He's fuming during the wedding. He's fuming during dinner. He makes a total ass of himself. But the only bad interaction they've had is when Robert deliberately burped the champagne and she giggled. I wondered if it's because she's not pedigree sort yeah. of in his mind. Because there's this awkward moment after where they bring her... They bring both of them a complimentary dessert because this is their fucking wedding reception. Just the four of them at this table. And when the bill comes, he tells um, Kathy's mom that they should split it. So he's having this widow from Long Island split a dinner with or a lunch, I guess, 
with him for their kid's wedding. And no one can believe this is happening. Like everyone thinks this is the most bizarre move, but she's very proud. Kathy's mom, she's not going to be made to feel less. And she ponies up half for the check. But there's this weird like thing that just hangs in the air, a tension, a sort of mutual disgust amongst all of them. And uh, then he goes, you know, I got to go to a meeting and he gets up and he leaves in the middle of the wedding reception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, this scene really worked for me. <laughs> I, 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 I liked, uh, I liked how awful I felt watching it. I did too. Yeah. They, they did it. They, yeah. And I guess the other thing is that I still can't figure out why he, I, I mean, he, it's a dick move. It was a dick move. That's what, that, that's, that's all I can say. <laughs> The the, the I, thing I get out of it is it feels like he just thought it was a waste of time because it's like his loser son. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, this is all this is to him is money he has to pay. And, and that's kind of what I got out of it. Oh, okay. I, I assumed it was like, you, just so you know, this isn't going to be like a handout sort of relationship with yeah. us. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, your daughter married my son, but like, she's not getting any extra and you're definitely not getting a free mm-hmm, ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which it takes a lot for a grown man to tell a grown lady to like, you know, fuck you. Yeah. Like that's a lot. As- Especially in this situation. Yeah, like he owns like all of Manhattan and she's a Long Island housewife. <laughs> yeah, a widow. Yeah. Like she I mean, I was worried immediately about her credit card getting declined. Um and of course, you know, you can't she said, you know, they offered to pay her back, but you can't pay her mm-hmm. back after she pays that bill. Mm-hmm. That's just humiliating. So um, Robert does this thing with his brother um, where he keeps calling him in the office. because The two of them are working at the office now and they have offices that both face outwards until I guess the communal space. And um, they are right next door to each other. They share a wall. And so he keeps calling up his brother on his line and then like hanging up on him. And his brother comes over to his office and he's like, cut it out, asshole. And when Robert turns around, he's holding like a a foot long wrench that could probably do some major damage. And he is like, what's wrong, Doug? You scared? (laughs) So Doug leaves and then he just barks alone in his office for like a couple minutes. I thought that I could tell it was a power play, but I couldn't tell like what sort of power play. I think it's because the wrench threw me off. I, I think he was trying to intimidate his brother into like, you know, knowing that like if he took if he took over the company that, you know, who knows what's gonna happen kind of thing. Like Yeah, he's fucking up his flow. He's trying to keep him from being too successful or too good at his job. He wants to remind him, like, listen, okay, this is we're just the kids of this guy. One of us is going to get it and it's not going to be you. Um, But, you know, it is a it is interesting that HR wasn't involved because this is a pretty big company. (laughs) And I feel like when one even if it's the owner's son, when one of them is barking in his office for like two minutes, you have to get someone involved. Yeah, like it, it seemed very much to me that whole thing of like Robert's only course of action is if i can drag my brother 
dog down with me and turn it into like a dad. He was doing this kind of situation that he'd just be the forget both of you. And like, that's what it was like building towards. It felt like. I mean, let's be honest. They probably are in their own wing. It's just those two offices. <laughs> the phones only yes. call each other. Like this is like a play office for them until their dad. The fact that retires. there was like almost no paperwork on the tables, and like um, Robert is sitting at his desk like, with his head on his desk, and Doug is just like filling out papers. I get that this was pre This is supposed to be like pre computers, but it still felt very much like when I would go visit my mom at her office and I would play with the typewriter, right? Um, or like I would um I would always like want to play with the fax machine, <laughs> but like fax machines don't do anything. Like they do nothing yeah. unless you are faxing. Um, Their phones yeah, probably so can't buy wow. <laughs> <laughs> right so, so Susie's waiting for robert at the bar um this is in 1982 now this is right after kathy's disappearing in the middle of this case he's lawyered up and she's not happy to see that kathy's on the front page of the paper this is a great susan scene so 33 12 to 34 43 finally i've been waiting for over an hour you look pale you need a drink I need a lot more than a drink. Tell me about it. It took me three Valium and five Bloody Marys to get through all the stories about you in the papers, Bobby. Bobby. Give me a break, okay? You know that that's crazy. All that stuff, that's, they're animals. They'll print anything. Yeah, it's even on the news. Prudence, Pharaoh, Bobby, really? She's a second-rate celebrity. Okay, John Lennon wrote this song, Dear Prudence, about that woman, and I... So that's a reason to sleep with her? No. You, you know, you're impressed by stupid okay, things. Listen to me, I know that... I know that the affair was not a good idea, but it is over now, Okay. 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 I'm here for you. How can Susie help? We need to get the press off my back. I need a martini. And I'm going to need your phone, please. Hello, is this Mr. Thomas from the New York Times? Yes, this is Susan Berman. I'm calling to tell you that Bobby's not talking to anyone. I'm sorry. Just write that he's really heartbroken. He's honestly unable to cope with the disappearance of his wife. Thank you. The post. Yes, this is Susan Berman. No, I'm his spokesperson now, helping him through this difficult time. Just write that he's really heartbroken. Really heartbroken. Thank you. Okay, next. That bitch. That bitch is a nightmare. He's completely distraught, clinging to the hope that Kathy is still alive. The New Yorker really wants to talk to you. I'm not talking to anyone. (laughs) So that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I feel like in a different movie where we actually gave a shit about Robert, um, that would have been like an even better scene. Um, Because I loved her so much in it, and it would just—it was sort of overshadowed by the whole thing of like, like knowing she's doing this because he killed his wife. (laughs) I was—I was having flashbacks to that like made-for-TV movie about uh, Jay Leto and David Letterman, where like Kathy Bates was like Jay Leto's like manager about trying to take over the Tonight Show. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that. And it sounds like something I've always wanted to see. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really fun. It was like an HBO, I think, made for TV type movie in like the 90s. And like Kathy Bates is just incredible in it as this like over the top, you, you know, like publicist who's like doing all the dirty tricks to make sure that Jay Leto gets the Tonight Show. 
It's wonderful. I mean, I appreciated it from a writing perspective because there's not a lot of like movement in this movie because it's just it's a somber story. And so they were able to take something that could have been explained probably in a more painstaking way. And they were able to make like a fun little Manhattan lunch scene out of it, where, by the way, I would just die to be. I would love to smoke a cigarette (laughs) in a Manhattan piano bar right now so badly. I mean, it just sounds amazing. With a martini and Um, a volume. (laughs) But I thought that was so powerful Uh, that she was able to just call up all these people and be like, here's what's mm -hmm. what. He's not doing well, and uh, we're going to move on from this statement. Print it, you know? Bobby comes home one day, um, and Kathy tells him that she's pregnant, so we're cutting back again. Um, He absolutely flips out and tells her there's no way he can be happy about this. He'll never be a good father, and he wants her to take care of it. She begs him not to make her do that, but he says that she made a promise that she was never going to get pregnant. So... She goes to get her abortion, and, and she's sitting in the waiting room with her sister. They also don't really um, go into... Um, like, I couldn't tell if it was like, we are using birth control, and this is like a mistake, or if it was, we weren't using birth control, and now he's berating her for getting pregnant. I think um, the latter. Yeah, he does kind of seem like that type of guy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, I don't know if she thought that he would take it that seriously mm-hmm. if she got pregnant. Like, you're not even allowing um, me to use birth control. So what did you expect, asshole? Um, But she and her sister, which I thought was an interesting choice. I'm surprised she didn't bring one of her college friends with her to do this. Um, They go to the hospital, I guess, to get an abortion. And... um. She's like, you know, I don't understand how you could love a guy who's so selfish and wouldn't want a child with you. Like a child could give you anything. It would be all the love in the world. And if you want to change your mind, you can absolutely do that. I'll go home and tell mom the good news. And she's like that I'm pregnant and getting a divorce. Um, And, you know, basically it comes down to the fact that Kathy feels like, you know, Robert had a rough childhood. And she promised him that they wouldn't have kids. And ultimately, she doesn't want to lose him. So this is another moment that I'm sure she probably looked back on as the relationship progressed and regretted it immensely. I also Um, got a little bit of an impression that her family might have been Catholic and therefore um, neither like... Like, neither divorce nor abortion would be an option. Right. Yeah. Right. But I'm also projecting there. (laughs) Well, that, the time period, all that, I I could see where this was like, even if it was an option, it would be something that maybe was like, not, not fully accepted. Mm -hmm. Because this is like, what, 1973? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think people... I mean, people got abortions in 1973, obviously, but I don't think it was like, I think it was widely frowned Mm -hmm. upon, Mm -hmm. something you would keep a secret. So um, Robert comes home that day and he already looks like he's in a mood when he's walking down the sidewalk. Um, When he gets inside, she tells him that today was the day she took care of it. Um, And I couldn't believe he didn't know this, but I don't know why I was surprised by that, given 
their relationship. Um, and he's like, well, why are you making a face? You're making a face. And she's just sort of like sitting there kind of distraught because she just had an abortion she didn't want to have. And she starts to get really upset. She's like, I just killed our baby. Like, you know, why am I'm not allowed to be upset? Um, and then things start to get violent between them for the first time, uh, pushes her around a bit. And then he pushes her down onto the couch and holds his fist back. Like he's ready to sock her in the face. And for now that's enough to scare the shit Mm -hmm. out of her. Um, but that will be the, the least, uh, generous sort of sparing of her that we see throughout this. So then we are in 1976 in South Salem, New York, and they are buying a big, beautiful lake house um, that Robert really, you know, he really likes to get away for a weekend. That's his thing. He's like, should we just get out of here for a weekend? Um, And so they have this place that they can go to. They agree to buy it. Um, And then we see that Um, In 1982, the police are really cranking on this case and they're finding out that none of the stuff that happened the night that Kathy disappeared is adding up. Um, There was a collect call, which is Robert's move. He loves a collect call, um, but it was from Atlantic City by the Pine Barrens. And that's a a mafia dumping ground. So essentially the body Mm -hmm. is gone. Which is kind of crazy to think about that, like, they all know where they dump bodies, but, like, you can't go there. I had never even heard of the Pine Barrens, but it just seems like that sort of a place, especially with the name. Um, and I, I, I think there was also another dropped thing, like, when they mentioned the Pine Barrens and that there's this whole thing, um, I feel like I was expecting there to be some sort of connection later on. There is a connection. It's Susan. Oh, why am I just putting that together now? <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's 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 subtle. It's like it's it's very subtle for something that seems like a huge detail, but I don't think they wanted to hit us over the head with it. Oh, and that's what she, okay. That's what she means later on when she's like, and I helped you. Okay. And she's like, I know all your secrets. Does anyone else know all yeah. your secrets? But, uh, you know, also I think probably, I mean, they're very intertwined. Like, Tell me that a straight man and a straight woman can't be friends because these two get nothing from each other in that capacity, but they are, they are like brother and sister. They are thick as thieves. Like they are really, they really show up for each other and she, especially for him. Yeah. Like she, this is like the definition of ride or die. (laughs) Or (laughs) both. Just a couple of aromantic soulmates, you know. So um, at the house in Salem, Robert is living his, you know, pot smoking fantasy. Okay. He's out on the deck, just blowing joints in the wind at his weekend house. And a house cleaner comes by. She's adorable. I love this character. We're going to hear from her later. But um, she can't believe how beautiful this place is. They must have a really nice life. Um I don't know if this woman is not from like the area, but I feel like everyone in this area probably is a really nice house. And um, I kind of really worshipped how uncouth it was of her to just be like, whoa, you guys rich? (laughs) I also, this was another scene that I was like, I was expecting it to go somewhere else because it opens up with like the underscoring for the song White Rabbit. And that's usually in a movie, like if they show somebody smoking pot, there's always like either a trip or an orgy or something that happens once the song kicks in. But in this one, they just, they hire a maid. (laughs) 
<laughs> you do think they are going to have a threesome or something, right? Yeah. 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 That's, that's what I was expecting. I was waiting for like, I was waiting for him to come in and they're going to start like making out. And then maybe they, maybe they like, did have threesomes. We don't know. This is true. Yeah. Um, the DA is looking at all of the evidence that the cops have compiled in 1982, of course, and everything that's coming together is circumstantial. And he raises a good point. I feel like the cops are always so frustrated when the DA won't take like a, a case that's <laughs> kind of like pieced together a little bit. But like I've seen Law and Order, dude, you need to have all <laughs> the facts. And he points out, especially with a family like the Durst family, like they're going to lawyer up. They're going to attack the wife. They're going to drag her through the mud. Double Jeopardy would protect him for the rest of his life. And they can't move on this until it's rock solid. So things sort of stop here again. And then we go to 1999, baby. (laughs) I was 14 years old, I think, 15. Uh, We're in Bedford, New York. And we're at the state police department. And we're going to meet... A cop they call Hollywood. Okay. I don't know why they call him Hollywood, but I refer to him exclusively as Hollywood in my notes. So um, 4310 to 4506. Morning. Hey, how you doing? Morning. Oh, it's trouble. Morning, Henry. Hey, Hollywood. Detective Becerra. Hey, it's Tim Martin. Timmy. Uh Uh-oh. Are you in trouble again? Not really. Kind of, yeah. But I got information for you. Remember Kathy Durst? Married Robert Durst? Which city guy? Yeah, vaguely. What about it? Well, he killed her and he was never arrested for it. Really? How do you know he killed her? My ex-sister-in-law told me. She used to be their housekeeper. That's good, right? This will help my case, right? What's your sister-in-law's name? Robin Hill. All right, I'll get back to you. Yo, Henry. Yeah? You ever heard of a Kathy Durst? No, never heard of her. Well, Timmy Martin says that he knows that the husband killed her. Maybe a cold case? Maybe. Kathy Durst, early 80s. Disappeared, probably dead. That's everything we have on her. Knock yourself out. That's it? That's it. The case was New York City's. They didn't do much here at State Police. Oh, look at this. Woman disappears. It says the husband beats the crap out of her. And he's not even a suspect. 17 years ago. I guess people were different then. I'll say. One police plaza. Sarah, NY State Police, BCI. Can you get me whatever files you have on the Kathy Durst case? D-U-R-S-T. This episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. I've been subscribed to Book of the Month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. 
They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming. And when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. All right. Hollywood's on it, baby. Yeah. People were different 17 years ago. It's kind of crazy that this all came out of just some guy that got a tip from his ex-sister-in-law. God knows when, because when we see the cleaning lady again, it doesn't seem like these two people keep in touch. And he's been sitting Mm -hmm. on this and he's itching to get out of jail because he's just gotten a little bit more trouble. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people do you think there are in prison that have the answers to major cases we've all wanted to know about for years and they're just buying their time with it. They're holding on, they're playing the long game. Like some random schmuck in who knows where has like the secret to Jean Benet. Yeah. Or he's like, Oh, I was there the night of the OJ killing. Like it was actually, (laughs) uh, you know, his son. Like I, that's where the theory comes from. It's the truth. Um, But yeah. So, we see um, Kathy telling Robert that she's thinking of going to nursing school. They're having this like night on the porch and the two of them are just very disconnected. And she does seem like someone who is a bored housewife with no kids who wasn't meant to live that life. Mm-hmm. And I've never understood that. I know it's like financial sort of abuse and entrapment or whatever when you like take someone in and you're like, okay, you're not going to work. I'm going to take your career ambitions away from you. And um, you're not allowed to work, but also we can't have kids and I'm going to treat you like shit. 
Yeah. I've never understood that combo. The the no kids part just seems extra something. And I kind of thought he just decided that he didn't want to either pass on his genes or, or something like that because it just it's like this is before Duolingo. So what is she going to do? Right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of like types of uh, there's a lot of types of selfish people, right? Mm-hmm. There's people out there that would love as many people as possible to have miniature versions of their face on them. And then there's people who are like, I don't want to pay for that. I yeah. can't deal with that. I'll never love that. What will that give me? <laughs> <laughs> and I think he might be the second type. Uh, miniature versions of their face as like children or like merchandise? Like uh, as children. <laughs> as children. Okay. But also, you know, maybe there is a Funko Pop collab for his children that could have happened. <laughs> Sorry, just like the Yeah. <laughs> the way it was phrased, I'm just thinking like t-shirts. <laughs> we can work on that. I mean, I don't think he's going to sue us at this point. Um, can go within like our, our serial killer expanded universe. Oh yeah, <laughs> genre. I'm waiting for oh, right. uh, Jeffrey Dahmer at this point. <laughs> Do they stop at the Midwest for like anything? They just drop by Wisconsin because that would really steal the deal for that. We'll find something. Um, so yeah, he says, you know, oh Kathy, I think that's a wonderful idea. You might be able to make a few extra bucks and actually contribute around here. So. She's like, what the fuck? Like, like <laughs> yeah. you know, and she's like, you've changed. He goes, maybe I'm not the one who changed. You ever think of that? And he goes inside and she leans back in her chair and she like almost like waves to Igor. Like, don't worry about him, Igor three. Like, he's always been like this. <laughs> the other two Igors can tell you. <laughs> if, if you can dig them up. <laughs> I think all dogs can like speak to each other. Uh, ghost dogs and. And each other, yeah. That was in my established mind. in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Very true. Yeah. Right. So then we get another scene with the cleaning lady. She's finishing up for the day, and she asks Kathy if, there, if there's something wrong. And she's like, oh, it's Bobby. He's controlling. She goes, well, at least he's rich. Um, <laughs> and she goes, listen, I'll see you next week um, in case, unless you want to go out again. So we find out the two of these people have been partying. And I have to tell you, I love someone that parties with their cleaning lady. Hey, (laughs) you should not have, you know, when you can like take those boundaries down, that's great. I mean, they see everything that you're throwing out. So you might best to have a good relationship. And Kathy tells her, you know, we got to get back to the city. But also I've, I've been partying with you too much. So she's telling her, you know, we're cut off. He's cut us off. So she leaves the house. Um, and the cleaning lady leaves the house and Robert stares at her the whole way out. And I was positive he was going to kill her. Same, same. I was, this was another scene where I was waiting for that to happen. Um, But then, you know, on a a positive note, Kathy has her first day at school and right away she makes a friend who will be a friend to her for the rest of her life and beyond. Um, 4737 to 4844. This is the friend who was digging through the trash. Um, okay. Hey, are you new? Uh, hi. <laughs> yeah, is it obvious? Yeah, it's the deer in the headlights look. Um, I'm, I'm looking for intro to nursing. Oh, yeah, me too. Just come along. Mm-hmm. What's your name? Um, Kathy. I'm Gilberta. Nice to meet you. You too. 
Hey, this Hi. is Kathy. She's new. Ellen. Hi. Nice to meet you. Eleanor. You guys want to go? Yeah, let's go to class. Just as a reminder, service learning is required with a 10-hour activity and a written report on the anatomy case study we just discussed. Have a good week. Class dismissed. So what'd you think? Oh, it was great. It's interesting. Yeah, I never slept so well in my life. <laughs> it's bad. You don't know the half of it. All right, come on, let's get lunch. Welcome to the Rebel Nurses Club. Wait, what are you talking about? My mother taught me how to box when I was 12. In our kitchen. With gloves and everything. She didn't want anybody kicking me around. Well, you know, it's actually a good skill to have. Like, self-defense. Yeah. My mom taught me how to make a martini. <laughs> All that figures. Yeah. Do we think the Rebel Nurses Club... Do you think that's a, a queer club? <laughs> well, Gilberta was definitely giving me like power queer lady vibes. Like she was she was taking charge. I feel like yeah. Kathy found some like nice soothing lesbians to balance out what goes on at home. And that way she doesn't have to deal with like um I'm sure like Robert doesn't even think that queer women exist. So therefore um, she can hang out with them and not have any sort of, um, why desire? is my brain not working today? Well, not so much desire, but any suspicion, like, right. Cause he goes suspicion really quickly. So I'd imagine like, if that is the case that, yeah, they could very easily be, um, yeah, these are my friends. There's nothing. Yeah. It, it, it and it doesn't raise any register. It doesn't raise any, I cannot think. I'm so sorry. <laughs> doesn't even raise any red flags for him. It's just very clear that those three girls, as soon as they meet, you're like, okay, those are going to be the bitches that show up to the police department if I go missing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Kathy comes home from school with all of her new books, and she tries to make room for them on a, like a shelf that's in the living room, but a stack of Polaroids fall onto the floor, and it's hard to tell like what's going on in these Polaroids. Um. They're photos of the apartment, I guess, but they just look like random little scenes. I don't really know what they are. Um, she decides to keep them out and show them to Robert when he gets home, which I was like, girl, why would you do that? <laughs> like, let him have his fucking secret. Whatever it is, don't bring him, like, you don't need any more of him in your life. But what, it, you know, she's married to him. So she shows them to him when he gets home and he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. You got me. You found him. I'm caught. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I'm having an affair, obviously. Um, apparently, he takes photos of everything around the house so he can take it down when she leaves and then make it appear like he's a bachelor. And then he reassembles everything after. So Kathy won't know anything's going on, which sounds like a goes, lot of work. Yeah, and he goes from like, um, he goes from like zero to you caught me with nothing from her she's just like from her point of view she doesn't even ask him in an accusing manner she's just like like oh the found these polaroids um what are they like why are you taking weird pictures of the bowls and he's like i'm having an affair isn't it obvious that's the best part is he like calls her stupid yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of love it because it's such a power move. It's like, oh, yeah, you think you caught me? Well, I don't even care. And it's just, it's great. <laughs> I think she's relieved when she finds out he's having mm -hmm. an affair. 
Yeah. Like, oh, thank God I can work this to my advantage. Maybe we can like have an open relation or like a, an, an agreement. <laughs> yeah. And it keeps him busy. Like he mm-hmm. can't, he can't terrorize her if he has a girlfriend that he's, you know, having fun with. Mm-hmm. So then, um, you know, we go to the police department where the cleaning lady it's 1982, 83, I guess. And she's about to have her. Oh, no, this is with Hollywood. She goes in to talk to Hollywood mm-hmm. and she's going to tell him, you know, everything she knows about what went on up there. 5021 to 5130. Yeah, thank you for uh, coming down to see me. I'm not sure why I'm talking to you. Well, uh, to help out your brother-in-law, Timmy. Ex-brother-in-law. He's a creep. I don't even care what happens to him. But I do care if Bobby finds out I'm talking to you. Are you afraid of him? He comes from a powerful family. Well, he won't know. You have my word. Come on, you came all the way down here. Isn't there anything you can tell me? After Kathy disappeared, I was at the South Salem house and I found personal ads, kinky stuff that Bobby was putting in the village voice. The dates went back to like he'd been doing this for years. And he put a new ad in the paper right after Kathy disappeared. There's a lot at stake here. Crazy Bobby could drag the whole family down. Crazy Bobby. You don't know how weird he was. He would bark and growl to himself. Sometimes he would scream at the edge of the lake, just stand there screaming. And he would disappear for days. Disappear for days. Nobody knew where he went. He never said. But the clothes he came back in, well, let's just say they weren't the ones he left in. Hollywood. I tried to look it up to see why they called him Hollywood if I could, because maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe he did work on a case. I don't know. But um, no evidence of that. So, okay. I love the cleaning lady. Not the last scene I expected from her. I did expect to see her on roller skates at some point. (laughs) But I'll settle for what we got. Um, Robert's looking up some, um, looking at some Polaroids that are like close-ups of a woman. It's like an eye and a mouth and a neck. Um, and he kisses them and then throws them into the trash. Kathy comes in and wants to know why he's taking out an empty trash bag. And they're at that point in the no trust in the relationship where it's like, what are you doing with that trash bag? <laughs> like, everything is suspect. Um, what do you think the Polaroids were about? I couldn't tell if they were supposed to be like his past victims and he had been killing other women or if it was supposed to be like photographs of Robin since she was just the one talking and he was, he had been having an affair with her and this was like his kinky stuff was Polaroids. I was thinking 100% murdering sex workers. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was getting, especially now that I know he has the pines or mm-hmm. whatever it's called, the barren pines or whatever. So um, he says he, you know, he says like basically she needs some stuff around the house. Like she needs some living expenses stuff, school stuff, money for food. Um, and he says, you know, you don't do anything at all. Um, and he leaves. And she's like, you know what? You pretend you're nothing like your father, but you're exactly like him. Um, and I thought he was going to beat her up for that yeah that seems like a a, a blow intended to hit home <laughs> yes right so hollywood shows up to the salem house where a new woman is living um and she bought the house from the previous owners and she doesn't understand why they like are there about kathy because she thought that whole case was closed apparently the previous owners bought the house from durst in 1990 um and when 
they say they want to search her property. She's hesitant at first, but you know, he convinces her that it's worthwhile. So a huge team comes in and they go digging around. Um, then we go to a party back in the day where um, it's it's Kathy's, you know, congratulations, you graduated nursing school party. And her whole family's there and her brother's there being like, oh, where do you find this grill? It's all rusted and stuff. Like his brother's <laughs> all talking about the fucking grill. And um, they're having like a good day. And like, you know, this is the thing with Robert. Like, yes, I, I will say, has Kathy held a glass of wine in a lot of scenes in this movie? Yes. But like Robert's like Shane smoking, smoking weed. He's always drinking liquor. Like he's drinking brown liquor in the middle of the day at his <laughs> wife's party for graduating school. Um, And so, oh, go ahead. I would just say, yeah, he's definitely always lit and like, um, Always has a tumbler in his hand. Yeah. What do you think that is with her drinking? Like, do you think that she's just not allowed to get out of control the way he is? I I kind of feel that she it's 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 meant to be a like he's drinking and smoking pot to deal with his demons, and then she's drinking to deal with his demons to put it one way. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It feels very much like also that, like just not trusting like, Oh, when I do it, I know my limits, even though I don't. And, uh, I can't trust you to know that kind of thing. And that kind of double standard stuff. Dude, it's like kind of creepy in so many moments, how much Robert Durst reminds me of some of the men I've dated. Like, just the sort of, like, mean, manipulative shit where it's, like, all double standards. And it's, like, is that my thing or is that your thing? Like, is it, you know, like, he's so mean to her at this party. And I'm about to play just, like, the the 42nd scene where he really, like, reams her at this party. But it's so, um, the love bombing, the sort of, like, apathy he has towards her, like, just really, like, it's very much the narcissistic cycle with him, and it's, like, I feel like there's aspects of this that have come up in other movies with male killers in our show, like, over the years, Drew Peterson was very difficult for me to watch, because I was, like, anyone could fall for this, like, you know, even if he has four dead wives, like why not be the fifth? Right. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of tension at this party and there's only one thing that could break this tension. So let's play 54, 49 to 55, 55. Bobby, Bobby, finally, Bobby. Oh God, I can't believe I made it. It was raining on the Tappan Zee and I nearly died. And you know how I feel about bridges, tunnels and freeways and rain. Where's Kathy? Yeah, she's over there. Oh, hi. Hi, Susan. Yeah, I suppose it's about time. Congratulations. Congratulations, I believe, are in order. My little nurse, Kathy. Anybody sick here? Do we have any sick people? Anybody <laughs> around who has a sickness? No? Bobby, what Any takers? Do? Yes? So what? Come on, you got some sick people? Because we have a regular Florence Nightingale over here, don't we? Come on. It's No, it's what? I'm saying she's Florence Nightingale. She can take care of everyone else but no don't do that you know the only thing that my wife is going to be nursing tomorrow is a hangover so you might have to wait what just ignore him he's he's just jealous yeah i don't know what it is 
I wouldn't say he's jealous. I'm sure it was just like a like what they decided to use in the script, but it also could be seen as just um something to say. Because- no, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's what women tell each other when we like can't figure out what it is. They'll just be like, "Oh, they're jealous of you." Mm-hmm. And when in reality, I think people are rarely actually truly jealous of each other, but. Yeah, it did just seem a little weird that it was coming from the mother about the husband as opposed to like two girlfriends talking about another girlfriend. I mean, I think he can't let her have anything. Mm-hmm. And that was a very clear example of that. Like when he was like, well, I'm just asking if anyone's sick. I'm just asking, is anyone sick? Like that was a very Trump-esque mm-hmm. sort of the the rambling arc. And I will say he did get there. He got to the other end of it, but um, it was scary. Mm -hmm. Like I would almost have a hard time being mad at someone like that long-term because I'd be like, you're just so bizarre, dude. Yeah, Like that's just so weird. And thank God for Susan. Right. Like she was there to save the day and get him out of there. (laughs) Yeah. she'd (laughs) She'd take a bullet for him. But he also didn't act up when until she got there. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like she getting like her being there allowed him to be his true rotten self. Well, I think it's because they are friends. And when it's just before Susan got there, it's all of um, Kathy's friends and family. So he feels completely by himself. I don't mean that in like. I don't mean that in a in a I mean that in a bad way, but not in like a a good bad way. Like he doesn't feel ice. Like he feels isolated, and it's making him angry and nasty. So when she shows up, it's like, okay, finally, I have somebody who I know will take my side. That's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. He can't like rise to the occasion or view it as his family. Like he, when he's around her family. He takes it as like a slight to him Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that he doesn't have a family, Um, which guess what? You know, a lot of us don't have the traditional families that we'd want, Robert. So get over it. Um, But yeah, so Hollywood pays a visit to Jim and Kathy's mom. And he says that Kathy deserves justice and she needs to be held accountable. And she's just like, listen, Hollywood, you don't know what I've been through. Okay, Robert Durst sued me and won for apparently some stocks that were in Kathy's name after she died. He lied about what she was wearing when she disappeared. The girls found all that stuff at her place. Um, There's just really no justice for people like them compared to a family like the Durst. Like, really, honestly. And it is it's it's tough. It's like suing like Mm Coca-Cola. Like, it's just very difficult to go up against people who have endless resources like that. So Robert and Doug then meet with um, their dad. And he tells them that he's made the decision to have Douglas take over the company when he steps down. And he knows it was supposed to be Robert, but he thinks it would be best for all. And then Robert goes into this, oh, congratulations, very similar to his Florence Nightingale speech. Um, But while doing so, he like goes over to a window. You think he's like going to just like glance out at the Manhattan skyline. But no, he takes a piss in an empty trash can. And then puts the trash can on the table before he leaves. And his brother, like, blanches when he puts it down. Like, he's he, like, can't help himself. He has a physical reaction. Um, And, you know, you have to remember, 
this boy, he was a boy once who had a lot of psychological problems. Wikipedia says he was 10 when the doctors wrote this letter. Um, this movie says he was 11. But either way, um, at one point when he was a kid, there was a lot of behavioral issues in the house. So they've seen some major behavioral issues from him his whole life. This is probably not unusual, more like a callback to his behavior from yesteryear yeah and especially since he's made it clear that he doesn't want to be a part of all of this stuff he just wants the money he he if they had left him alone in vermont i don't think he would have been fine but he would have been better yeah he's very much that person like why'd you make me do this Mm -hmm. and it's like well no one made you do anything like this is all your this is your action or lack of action Mm -hmm. but he feels like he's constantly going through something um so jim and the family uh they're they're talking on christmas eve and robert is mulling around in the kitchen watching them again resenting their closeness so he puts out a cigarette in a tart and then grabs his jacket and tells kathy that it's time to go and she's like i'm not ready to leave yet and so she you know he goes outside and he lights a cigarette and he goes outside in that snow cannot handle that it's been even two minutes so he barges back sent back in grabs her by the hair and everyone starts flipping out at him and telling him to put her down leave her alone kathy apologizes to all of them and says like you know just please don't say anything so this is a really big moment because it means that he's willing to abuse her in front of her own family and i think this is a power play on his part to see if they'll if they'll intervene. Yeah, I was yeah. I, I was a little surprised that they didn't do more to intervene. But I also I've never been in that situation, so I can't know what I would do. Um, you know, I feel like we could all say, "Well, if that was me, I would have blah 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 blah," and then flight or fright. John Quinones comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah th- this is another scene that that I thought really worked, like the. Uh, like the chopping wood scene in terms of just like being really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I will say though that it, um, it did, it felt to me like he was for someone who wouldn't let her go. I think if the family fought back here, I think he was really, I think he was really trying to make a statement with this more than it was just him snapping. It seemed more pathological than that. Um, but yeah, the next day she, um, is getting her apology speech, you know, he raged out. So it's time to apologize. And he says that her family makes him jealous. He can't handle their happiness because he never had it. And he puts a locket around her neck. It's, you know, pretty like yellow gold. It's very like 1970s, mm-hmm. sort of like humble, sweet necklace. Um, it's and she, you know, it's like, tells them <laughs> it is little orphan Annie. Yes. So, um, she tells him that she's going to go to med- medical school. She's very like calm when she says this. She doesn't want anything to do with him at that moment. And he goes, well, father will be pleased to have a doctor in the family. And you know what? You'll get to be with kids because she's going to be studying pediatrics. And she had to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. So can't she can't have anything without getting a cut from this guy. Yeah. Do, do you think... Um... I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm pretty sure that she took precautions since then. But do you think that the abortion might have done something so that she couldn't have kids after that? I just think she learned her lesson uh, about what's going to happen if you get pregnant with his baby. It, yeah. 
Yeah. Like, I don't think she wants to go through that another <clears throat> time, but maybe. May- it could be that. It could be they were also having less sex, which is why he's cheating on her more and she's seeing someone else and all that stuff. Like, Yeah, I'll be real with you. It doesn't seem like a lot of sex <laughs> is happening in that That's house. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so Kathy's at school and this cute med school guy introduces himself in the hallway and they it's obviously just it's on mm-hmm. like the attraction is there i'm attracted i like love him i was like honey you're so cute and i never like guys in these <laughs> movies every episode there's like some random character where i'm like i never like these guys so the former doorman gets a visit from hollywood and he's retracting his statement it turns out that back then he was drinking on the job at the time you know he would sneak out and he would go drink on his shift. And so when Durst told him that he was sure Kathy came through the lobby that night, he agreed, yeah, because he didn't want the boss to know he split. And he says he never saw her. So this is a huge piece of information because this was basically what they were running off of. This was the hardest thing was that they had an, a witness. And it, I, I, this is another thing that I felt like it didn't quite go in the places that I was expecting it to go. but. Um, I also don't think they could have done anything with it as well. I wish we could cut to um, Hollywood and the doorman being in an AA meeting at the same time. Mm -hmm. And they're doing shares and the doorman shares that he, uh, he lied about a crime that he saw or didn't see back in the day. And then Hollywood hears this and he's like, wait, Hmm. what? And then, they go on their journey together. I would like the movie to go there, but that's not where it goes. Um, So he tells the New York detective that Kathy was never in Manhattan. Um, This is the guy that worked the case back in 82. And he looks just so full of regret. I mean, I felt that regret, dude. And um, he says, you know, I should have done more to catch that son of a bitch. And I'm like, I agree, dude. I absolutely agree. Like, this was the easiest thing that he was able to do. He just went and reported her missing. And it's completely different, like, part of the state. Oh, because he reported her in New York and she went missing in, like, the South Salem area. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like then, cause like Manhattan couldn't really move mm-hmm. on it, which is what Kathy's friends were all saying. They were like, no, she never went back to Manhattan. She was in South Salem. I went up and down the train the whole weekend with my flyers. No one saw Kathy. So this, I mean, it was kind of a brilliant move on his part. I will say that was one of the smartest things Robert Durst did besides manage to get away with multiple murders <laughs> for 30 years. <laughs> Um, but that's how you do it, baby. Um, so Kathy's now having a full blown affair with that med student and they meet up in the closet at the hospital for sex. And that night, Robert tries to have sex with Kathy, but she needs to rest because she has a final the next day. And then there's this Did you, scene. I kind of got the impression that he just like went on with it and then was like a two bump, a, a, a two pump was like over and done. Yeah, I think he like, I think that was rape. I believe that's yeah. what happened there. Cause she just was like completely still zoned out, like mm-hmm. wasn't going to argue with it. And it was four pumps and he was done. Literally, I counted. I rewatched it twice because I was like, what, what's like, what's the point like of this, of this scene? But also like, what are they telling us about him? Mm-hmm. 
Um, but he says to her, you know, I want to feel something. Sometimes I can't feel anything only with you. Um, but I wouldn't take that too personally based off of what happens next. You know, <laughs> um, I mean, they get, they, he gets really into like the classic, um, abuser gaslighting language here. I thought the whole movie. Oh, yeah. No, he's on 10. Like, he's really on 10. So, Kathy and her lover... This is one of my favorite parts of the fucking movie. Okay, Kathy and her lover are on a bench at school eating lunch um, when he does something that reminds her of something a little too close to home. 105.37 to 105.56. Let me guess. Fries. Mm-hmm. All of them. You never order your own. That's because yours tastes better. Mm-hmm. What? Nothing. Nothing. Him eating her (laughs) french fries made her think of the dog barking. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was like a french fry monster sound in my mind, not a dog but she's been through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I would know the difference, to be honest. But yeah, I feel like that would be... Um, yeah, it was like it was clear that was very triggering for her. I will say I love how unhealthy people are in med school. Like, I'm obsessed when I go to the hospital and there's there's a nurse outside smoking. Like, that's my favorite thing in the world. I fucking die for it. I don't know. It's something so comforting about it because I'm like, oh, you're like, you're legit a human. Um, but, you know, Kathy is drinking hard. She's smoking cigs. She's eating French fries and burgers. I'm like, I love how med school students are always depicted as being like, just, you know, average American unhealthy. But I'm like, you should be held to some sort of standard. <laughs> and I, I also love how she um, she's sitting on a bench at school wearing her wedding ring, like hitting on this dude while he's like eating her fries with his arm around her, who's clearly not her husband. Like she does not care. <laughs> no, they don't care at all. It's very um out in the open. And I don't, what happens with them really kind of like breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. But we go back to Salem and Kathy's hysterical because Robert took a dinghy out and returned without Igor three. Um, and he says like, you know, he's like, um, Oh, you know, I didn't do anything to, you know, and he runs inside. Um, so Igor three is gone and it's all starting to add up that this might be something to do with the affair because next thing we learn is the school administration guy, Hmm. whatever is, whatever he's called comes out of his office holding a folder and he's like, Hey, Kathy, um, you haven't paid your tuition. (laughs) And like right in front of everyone, like it, first of all, it's so informal the way he does it for what looks like a really big school. (laughs) And he just like kind of confronts her with this folder as she's passing in the hallway. And he uh, <laughs> he comes out of nowhere like he's been stalking her. And it kind of also hits this thing with this movie where there are a lot of these actors who they are not extras. A lot of them aren't named. They have this one scene and probably even one line, maybe two. And they seem to just do the most that they have with it. Like this guy like comes out of it. Like, you know, like, Hey, Kathy, you like, wh- where's your tuition? And there's like her friend who was all 
um, my mother taught me how to box <laughs> and like, um, under five. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're definitely not extras and it's just like, oh, yeah, you gotta, it's like, you gotta pay a little bit more for an under mm-hmm. five, but like you, it's not an extra fee. Mm-hmm. Um, when she goes home to like confront him about not paying her school, like you promised, he's like, why don't you have your boyfriend pay for it? And she's like, oh, you are such a hypocrite. Because I mean, this man's been having affairs behind her back for years and in front of her face. And so he holds her up against the wall and then he punches the wall. And then we go to the door of the apartment so we can not see, but hear him beating the living daylights out of her, um, which is very scary. And so she goes to meet. Oh, go ahead. Kathy goes to meet with a divorce lawyer and her face is is really badly bruised. And, um, you know, after eight years of marriage, she's ready to leave him. But why now? She says she found out he found out that she was seeing someone, um, but he cheated on her for years. And she can't explain why she stayed with him. She thought that things, you know, would go back to the way that they once were. And he's like, well, the Durst family is not going to make this easy for you. They may not even pay for your legal fees at the end of the day. Like, you're probably not going to get anything. And he says, just go get your affairs in order and document the abuse. For a while, I got to say, I thought this was her therapist. And I was like, wow, she has a really shitty therapist. (laughs) 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 Because at the beginning, he talks about like... at the beginning, when he goes to file the police report, he makes a mention about her having gone to therapy or like she had seen her therapist and then she decided to go out for a girl's weekend or something. There's some mention of a therapist early on. So like, yeah, when this guy showed up, I was like, damn, this is a really bad therapist. Yeah, because he's like, just just stay stick with them. Come on. <laughs> it's been eight years. Get with it. Um yeah, so she bundles up like all this stuff she finds at the place. She goes like through a bunch of his stuff and she finds an obituary for his mom. Um, and then she finds a letter saying that Robert's behavior, this is from when he was a child, his behavior suggests personality decomposition and possibly schizophrenia. What's personality decomposition? And do we all not have that? <laughs> I. D- I-, I- Wonder if that's like some sort of um axis two or bipolar, but like in nineteen seventies speech, nineteen fifties or seventies speech. Personality I would say it sounds more like antisocial personality disorder, yeah. which would be classified over like the like <laughs> what, what is not accurately considered to be skit like um being a uh, psychopath or a sociopath. The very first hit for it um, is a Reddit hit that says, I've seen a couple articles about Robert Durst in which it is claimed a psychiatrist um, said that he had personality decomposition. (laughs) And then none of the answers, none of the the answers seem to know. They're like, well, it's not in the D in the, um, uh, the DSMV or whatever the, the, yeah, yeah, it's not in the psych. Oh, wow. It seems yeah. to be very much associated with Robert Durst. It, it seems <laughs> like there's there's like a Wikipedia entry of like an inability to maintain defense mechanisms in response to stress resulting in personality disturbance or psychological imbalance. Yeah. Hmm. It's not great. Well, 
It's not great. It's definitely not great. And it also, this does seem like a very, like, a sort of diagnosis they'd throw together for you in, like, the late 50s, mm-hmm. you know? So <laughs> this girl, she bundles up all of this stuff, literally just, like, takes his keepsakes and puts them into an envelope and mails it all to the senator, which I didn't, I don't know why she was mailing it to the senator, but we'll find that out. Like, we find out later that that's who she's sending it to. Also, the fact that she didn't keep, she's like, she didn't keep copies or make, um, she didn't, I mean, this is, this is an era where you could, you had access to photocopy machines. There, there were some, or were a reporter or somebody. She just like mails it off to the senator. Yeah. Yeah, it um it it seemed bold to me for a variety of reasons. Like I was like, really, you don't want a copy of that, but also things get lost in the mail. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the excuse when that's permanently gone? But um Robert's uh getting a haircut and he goes really proper with it this time. Really tight and and pretty, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> So he pulls up to his dad's house where Doug is reading by the fire and Doug hears Robert's car outside and he like goes and peeks out the window and he literally like ducks behind the blinds like he doesn't want to be seen. And just Robert pulls off then at that point. And I only knew he pulled off because I had the captions on. (laughs) It says sound of car pulling off or something. So. Kathy's in bed with her boyfriend from med school and she's telling him, you know, what if you got a position in California? What if you got a position in Denver? And like, it's obvious that she's thinking about bigger picture plans with him. And they are in profile, this whole conversation. And all I could look at was their noses. Like, were they pointing? I don't know. For some reason, like their noses looked I don't want, they didn't look odd. They didn't look bad. It was just like, there was somehow, somehow the way that they were in bed really framed their noses. So I just kept looking at the profile of their noses when I wasn't looking at his like, um, his like maroon five level of like trimmed chest hair. And it was a real like maroon five listening type dude room. Yeah. Like that room with like the tapestry, there's like shit everywhere. Like it's it's a perfect <laughs> med school apartment, but it's also like it's also like, oh my God, dude, like you've been in college for eight years. Get it together. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like basically he does a big soft dump on her. Not no, that sounded wrong. <laughs> he is basically He's like, she's like, you know, we should go somewhere together. And he's like, no, you're married. Okay, let's just talk like in, you know, and she's like, well, that will change. Like, and I'll get some money when that happens. And he's like, well, you're married now. So let's talk about now. Um, And she's like, but I want to be with you. And he's like, but I'm with you right now. Hmm. So like, basically, he's saying like, there's not any long term plans for this, sweetie. Like You're just with you are just here with this is just a fuck like. Yeah, let, like don't make it more than the, than this is. And my heart really broke for her there mm-hmm. because, like, I I don't know. They seemed pretty coupled up to me when I've seen them. He was them, making fry and- monster noises at her. exactly and why wouldn't he want to be with her like she's she's beautiful i mean yes she's married but 
they've had this thing going on for a while and he should know. I mean, is she, are these bruises magically healing before she goes to school? Like he has to know what's going on there. Um, I don't know. I just wrote, this is like really harsh. Um, so Robert's at home with the envelope that Kathy sent to the Senator on the table. And she looks terrified when she walks in and sees it. And he's like, did you send my personal documents to Senator Moynihan? And she's like, who else saw them? Who saw these? And she's like, listen, I only like, I only sent them to him. And he's like, I can't believe you think that you could betray me and my family without it getting back to me. The Senator sent it right back to my father. Um, did you have to mail shit to the senator to get a divorce back then? Like, why would the senator have this? I think she was trying to blackmail him or um, maybe not blackmail is the right term, but I think she was trying to use that in her favor. Right. Like, I also know that HIPAA wasn't like a thing back then, but like she could lose her medical license for hmm. mailing someone else's diagnosis to the Senator. Yeah. And maybe that's why she didn't go to the, um, plaster it on like, cause she could have easily like plastered this in the village voice and it just had them like re- re- release. This as some sort of like weird tabloid thing. Yeah. Like pull uh um yeah. okay what was that movie uh, Men in Black where you know like you know everybody reads it and everybody knows what's in it but like some things are true but most of the things aren't yeah oh my god so then we see Kathy going to the hospital to get checked out well because he beats the shit out of her again of course um and he almost strangles her to death this time telling her that you know you won't leave me. So then Kathy goes to the hospital to get checked out and she asked if Mark Bowen is there. Um, and apparently he left the hospital and he took a position in Denver. What? Which I don't know. I mean, how long the mail takes, but like that was quick. <laughs> yeah. He like, he was like, oh, I see this turning into a relationship. I'm out of here. Yeah, he like low key already had a job in Denver and was just gonna leave. But um, the detective asked Hollywood uh, why, like, so the junior detective, the one who's like, oh, I, I don't know if I ever heard of him, the, like this young guy. He asked the Hollywood Henry Cavill. Why he's, uh? Yes, exactly. He's asked him why he's determined to fix this cold case, and he tells him that you know you have to solve a case like this because you have to give people a chance to keep going, and that's worth it. And I don't know what the <laughs> fuck that's supposed to mean, because I was like, what? Like that's a non. If I've ever heard a non-statement, that's it, baby. Like, are you kidding me? There's so many good reasons why you would want to solve this case. That's not to give people a chance to keep going, and that's worth it. <laughs> What? So then the Stop news is apparently leaked to the papers. From like, yeah. And he, um, we see like, you know, Durst is on the front. They're like already, it's, it's widely known now that they are digging back into Kathy's murders. And that's bad for a personality like Robert Durst to know. So um, Susan gives Robert a call. 
And unfortunately, her screenwriting career isn't going the way she thought it would. I'm going to play 1417 to 1526. They said that they would option the script, but you know how it goes. One exec says yes, then they're fired, and the studio throws everything out. So it didn't happen. Again. I was counting on that money. It would have been enough to float me till next summer, and by then, I could be back in New York. I'm sorry to hear about your troubles, Susie. I've been trying to reach you for months, Bobby. You never pick up the phone. Yeah, you know, I'm busy. I'm working, I'm traveling. You haven't forgotten your Susie, have you? No. We've been through a lot together. I know, Susie, I know. Who knows more about you than me? Anyone know everything about you like I do? Nobody. Haven't I been a good friend? Loyal? I'll get you that money, Sue. I knew that you would. Just, uh, just send me a check. How about I give it to you in person? Oh. Oh, okay, sure. Okay. Thank you, honey. That's when she should have known. She should have known. Remember the psychic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Came back. This, um, according to Wikipedia, uh, they were saying that when she was murdered, she was working on a project for Showtime that was supposed to be their the Showtime version of The Sopranos. Oh, wow. That makes Mm. sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I feel you, Susan. You know, it does suck. That absolutely is what happens. You sell a project, the executive gets (laughs) fired, and then everything gets thrown out. That's and. They don't get fired because they they bought your script. They get fired for because they like a shakeup. Mm. That's what I'm sick of. The fucking shakeups. You know how many times I've been cock blocked by a a random shakeup. So. Um, you know, I will say that one thing stood out to me just interior design wise in this scene, which is that Robert, we're living in fully like we're in 1999 and his place is still full of like mid-century art that would have been completely dated and considered unfortunate at that time. Um, despite the fact that at least the piece over the mantle looked kind of pricey, um, and I was like, dude, you've always had an eye. Why are you, why haven't you given the place a facelift? But I guess he has been traveling. Well, also, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I wonder how much of that was um, Kathy because like they make it a point early on that she has a lot of design. Like, like she wanted to paint everything yellow. Um, and he's just like, just this dude. <laughs> So you're saying they're trying to paint <laughs> Robert Durst a little more sympathetically right before he kills her. Like, look at how he has to live. <laughs> With, like, bad 70s architecture. Yeah. I mean, he did well with the Vermont store. I feel like, you know, obviously he threw out Igor's bowls before the body was cold. So, like, you know, he's not someone afraid to give something a facelift. Like, I... <laughs> I feel like he's pretty like cool about moving forward. So I just thought that was a little <laughs> time capsule. But then of course, 
Susan is living in what seems to be like some sort of Santa Monica <laughs> three bedroom that she's tricked out like fucking Grace Adler Designs came in there and did it for her. Like there's every wall is a different color. It's very beachy. It's having a moment. It looks like it would have been very stylish for there was 1999. There a lot of design going into like that 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 bedroom that or the no, the living room that we saw. Like I remember the chairs. Yeah. Yeah. It was all like that. It was a really beautiful place. You could hear seagulls <laughs> in the background. I was like, well, Susan, how much is your rent? Like, <laughs> you, maybe that's part of the problem is you're paying like $1,400 in rent at the time or whatever. But anyway, um, Kathy goes to her mom's house, who's, you know, comforting her um, about, you know, what a monster her husband is. And she tells her mom he can be so nice, but also so awful. And her mom says that she believes people can change and she has to have hope. And I can't believe after all she's seen that her mom is is hanging in there on yeah, that. Her, this this scene felt really uncomfortable as well since um, it kind of like it felt like she had a moment where she could have gotten out completely. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been really cut mm. and dry here. But, I mean, he did just strangle her and tell her that she's never allowed to leave. So she probably would have just never allowed her the divorce. But, you know, Robert calls the house and he apologizes and he's so sorry. And maybe they should get out of town for the weekend. So they decide to go to Salem. And they drive up there and Robert has Igor 4 in the back of the car. Um, we're on, we're four we're Igors in. through these dogs. So he's being really like, you know, affectionate with her, but she looks pretty worried, obviously, about this whole thing. She looks tentative. She honestly looks like she has a much bigger secret than she does. Unfortunately, she just is burnt by trusting him. So at the house, she pours herself some wine. She pours him a glass, too. But Robert puts on his jacket and just like walks out the front door. She's like, where are you going? And he's like, out. So, you know, as we know, when that what that means is like, I'll be back mm -hmm. in a few days. I wonder what he's doing during this time. Meeting sex workers? I the guess, really yeah. So then, um, Kathy's college friend calls and says that she's going to have a huge party. Um, and she's like, I don't know. You know, Bobby's just walked out for the weekend. I don't know. And she's like, you have to come. So when she gets there, it's a real booze fest. And her friend is like shit-faced. And she's telling, they're both shit-faced. And she's like, you know what? You need to end it with Bobby tonight he's never going to change and just then the phone at the house party rings and it's bobby <laughs> and people are like someone named kathy here and like remember god remember back in the day when someone would call the house phone during a party <laughs> that's yeah and like there's not like you get like the one drunk person or like who answers the phone i don't know and that's such a that's such a trope in movies <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's 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 i don't know it's confusing enough when someone calls on thanksgiving <laughs> let alone at a full-blown house party so her friend uh tells her that she can crash there that night but she's gonna have to you know handle it and be she's like no i'm gonna go handle this i'm gonna be strong um and she tells her to call her tomorrow is she <coughs> sorry i'm gonna try one more time um, so Kathy tells, you know, Robert, she's going to come home. They're going to have a, a talk. She's had it. So 
um, you know, Kathy's leaving and her friend says, you can crash here tonight. But she's like, no, I'm going to go handle it tonight. I'm going to be strong. And she's like, call me tomorrow. Okay. And then she skips away to her car to go <laughs> drunk drive home. I guess. I also noticed the trunk driving. I was like, okay, so we're going to, okay, we're going to do that. <laughs> pretty sauced at that party. And I mean, I guess, you know, maybe this is, there are parts of the country where people drink and drive almost solely drink and drive and they it's not a big deal mm-hmm. like to them um and i think that this might have been a, a place like that where it's like there's seldom people on the road but i'm sure if you killed someone it would be it was also a like real the big late one, 70s you know? and you know nobody wore seat belts or everybody smoked in planes and apoquitic baby yeah oh my god smoking on planes i remember flying to Europe as a kid and people were smoking on the plane. And I didn't mind it because my Mm. mom was a smoker, but like looking back, oh my God, what what I would have done to have smoked on a plane as an adult, Mm. I would have loved that. Um, So she, um, you know, is looking through the windows on the door when she gets home and she sees Robert smoking a cigarette and she's scared to go in. And she walks up to him for what feels like an hour. Like, it's literally like a a solid 40 seconds of just like, sort of like a heartbeat sound and her like coming closer and this was another like framing thing Um, where they had the lighting and the door and it really felt very artistic and made for like a movie poster or a promotion still. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it looked like. Because, I mean, this is big money for them. They put a lot of money into this with casting, with, you know, sets, with all these actors they hired. They hired a lot of people, as you said, just like when I see people that are doing like under fives or like, you know, small parts that probably could have been condensed, like. All I think about is, oh, they're bleeding money. Like they don't. Yeah, they I think have in, like, budget in, in a regular so, lifetime movie, there would only be the one best friend. They would have condensed all that down into one. Absolutely. And if, like, in a regular lifetime movie, like when you go to the grocery store, there's mm-hmm. like one extra. Like they they are not afraid <laughs> to not fill a scene on lifetime. So um, we go, we come up on the lake and we see that the, when we go inside the house, we see it's empty. And then we see a clip of Robert speeding down the highway like a maniac. And then we get this last like couple minutes, um, 122.41 to 124.05. Wait, sorry. I started playing that like a minute early. Sorry. I was like, why is this music going? All right, one second. 22.41 to 24.05. Sarah. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm thinking, um, you need to talk to this woman, Susan Berman. Um, I was around her. She's got to know something. She was Pa's best friend. She was his confidant, you know? Yeah, no, I know. I'm already on it. I haven't been able to get a hold of her. I'll try again right now. Thanks, sir. Yeah, all right. Los Angeles Police Department. This is Investigator Becerra. Uh, your office was helping me locate Susan Berman's phone number. I'm just, I'm having a little trouble getting through. One minute, please. Hi, this is Detective Simon. I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, Susan Berman is dead. She was murdered. What? You're kidding me. What happened? Shot in the back of the head, execution style a week ago. Nothing was stolen. Seems like it was someone she knew. I wanted you all to hear from me first. Susan Berman is dead. 
and Bobby's a suspect, there is a lot of evidence that points to Durst. I mean, it's all circumstantial, of course, but still, I think we're going to lock him up eventually. Uh, this is what we've been waiting for. But do you think they can prove it? It's just a matter of time before he gives himself away. He'll make a mistake. He'll expose himself and he will be stopped. Okay. So the final like action scene of this movie, which is not action, is really just Robert standing on a dock in a suit with an umbrella. And it's kind of iconic looking, but I'm not sure what it's about. Is her body in that lake? I thought her body was in the the Baron. Yeah. The Baron. I don't know. Maybe that's where all the Igors are. Oh, he might have just killed the last Igor. Yeah, because he kept like chink. He was like, he was tossing that dog around like he was that one lady in Central Park. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And I mean, like, I will say that, like, what use is a lake house if you filled the lake with dead dogs? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's a real, like, property decrease. Like, that should have been disclosed to the person who bought it from Robert in the 90s. Like, yeah, it's a beautiful lake house. The one thing is the um, lake is full of dead dogs, um, all named Igor, um, all killed by me. So, um, we get some little title cards. Robert Durst has never been charged in connection with the disappearance of, um, Kathy Durst. Her body has never been found. And then we see a photo of her. She does kind of, I mean, they did a pretty good job with the casting. Um, Kathy's mother, uh, filed a $100 million lawsuit against Durst before she died in 2015. Substantial amount. Um, Robert Durst was paid $65 million for his stake in the family business. His brother, Douglas, continues to run the billion-dollar Durst empire. In 2000, Susan Berman was shot in the back of the head before the police could question her about uh, Kathy's disappearance. In 2001, Robert Durst, living in Texas, killed his neighbor, Morris Black, and chopped up the body. He was acquitted on the grounds of self-defense. As of filming, Durst is in jail awaiting trial for Susan Berman's murder. I mean, they didn't even get him on the Morris Black thing. They didn't even get him on, like, disposal of a body. Like, Yeah, and I was... I mean... The ending was very kind of anticlimactic in a way. Um, I'm assuming they finished the filming before the jinx came out. I think they finished it before the... Oh, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that would be kind of crazy if they they scooped the jinx on a Robert Durst movie. Because who who was paying attention to Robert Durst before the jinx? I mean, I guess it was on the the newspaper. But I mean, the the fascinating part about that documentary is I don't think they came Mm -hmm. to do what they did. I feel like during filming, Mm -hmm. a lot revealed itself. And so... It wound up, they wound up getting like a confession from him on camera by accident, but it was not supposed to go in that. They did not start this documentary to, in the end, bust him. So I wonder why they maybe even started the documentary unless it was just because his ex-wife and best friend yeah, were well, both I mean, murdered. Yeah, well, I mean, he had been, like, like, at that point in time, he had been involved with a bunch of these things. So I think it was... um. Um, 
that type I'm looking it up on Wikipedia now. Um, doesn't quite give me a quick like saying, but it seems like, yeah, that would have been a sense of, Oh God, I can't think of another doc. I know there have been other documentaries that were filmed. Oh yeah. Like the, there's so many, like, um, the, um, one about the guy who was painting his daughter's paintings and they were like, started the documentary about, um, did my, did your kid really draw that or something? And it's about, um, a guy who had a child prodigy artist. And then over the course of the filming, they find out that the yeah, father was yeah, actually the like artist. That. And um, so that wouldn't be the first time. And I also think that like, there's also been a lot of ones where they don't tell the people involved. Like, wasn't there something recently where somebody was involved and then got really mad because they said that the documentary people had told them the, something completely different. Or and else and maybe maybe it was McMillions, but that they would probably yeah, but they wouldn't have revealed as much or said as much if it had been presented to them of this is what is we're actually doing. Yeah, yeah. We um just watched another mm-hmm. one called Voyeur. Um, that was sort of like that where um Nicole and I reviewed it on the Patreon where it's about a guy who had a hotel that he would oh, like yeah. spy on people. In, and that was like a sexual pleasure thing and like over the course they started filming it like years ago and then but like by the time the guy released the book the the journalist released the book about it like his the whole story had been sort of disproven um as a lot of like legends yeah, and storytelling in this that, guy's um, mind you I remember know? that that documentary i think i watched it i'm mm-hmm. obsessed with like watchers like i'm obsessed <laughs> with people that like watch <laughs> stuff you know, like mm-hmm. peeking through the Somebody closet. recently was talking about, I think another podcast I was listening to had mentioned, maybe it was, I don't remember which one it was, but they had mentioned the concept of like, what is it? Frogging that thing where like people will like live in a spare room or in like the attic when you're, when you're there and then like only come out when yeah. you're away Oh my yeah. god, did you ever see that Gary Busey movie, Hider in the House? <laughs> no. Oh my god, you need to look up this funny. movie. It almost it was supposed to be released in theaters, but ended up being one of the early like direct-to-VHS movies. And Gary Busey is a guy who's released from an insane asylum. And uh, they're like, oh, you can, like, find a place to live and all that. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sees this house that's for sale, and he just walks in, and he goes to the attic, and no one's stopping him or anything. And there's, like, a giant, like, spare room in the attic. So he just moves in there, and then, like, a family moves in, and he, like, acts like he doesn't live in the house, and he knows everything about the family, it is a trip. Oh, this is- <laughs> Dude, the guy who wrote Hider in the House wrote uh, Gotti. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. This is someone who works like once every six years, it looks like, from his IMDb. Okay. I guess. Go, huh? go. Yeah. You go, girl. Um <laughs> But Hider in the House is a fucking amazing <laughs> title. And it's the first thing that comes up when you type in Hider. Oh. Or, 
And like, first of all, that's such an honor. I don't know if if IMDb is just like, oh, we know you. You're probably looking up some shitty movie, but like, <laughs> Hider in the House. Is it like a psychological thriller? I mean, you're giving a lot of credit to this movie by saying it's like anything, but yeah, kind of. Like, it's like. Is it a comedy? Oh, it's a thriller. It's, like it's a thriller, listed as a thriller. And like, the mom's trying to protect the kids, and like, Gary Busey's getting too close <laughs> to the kids, and dad goes away. Uh, for like a business trip show like it has michael mckean (laughs) and and bruce glover who is the father of crispin glover (laughs) um i will say that my only knowledge of gary Busey was like being Busey (laughs) or whatever that show was where like Gary Busey, where he was already like far, like a cocaine addict living on the beach on like residuals or something. So like, I don't, I don't know what his deal is. Was he a good actor at some point? He just yeah. like plays himself, like in all of these roles. It's just like, oh, it's Gary Busey. Like, oh, this is a this is a poster too. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's him looking through the window while Mimi Rogers My- is asleep. Yeah, I know. The, my favorite is when they um, they scan the VHS box, which is the <laughs> second photo. I love that on IMDb. I'll always post a scanned like VHS art thing whenever I can. Um, the only review that I think might be relevant to this movie is is just stupid, stupid women. <laughs> <laughs> So we found the incel who's reviewing lifetime movies for some reason. Oh boy. Guys, we were like, on Reddit. He's like, oh, I'm going to fucking go over to IMDb and talk about this fucking whore, Catherine McPhee, stupid bitch. Like, <laughs> whatever they do. Um, all right, you guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you guys have any like final thoughts about this movie? Anything that you want to add? Like, any any final I thought moments? they did like this really good but also interesting job of trying to make it as 70s and 80s as possible with all the stuff that they had so kind of like douglas's haircut which looks like it which looked like haircuts i've seen on businessmen like today um but it's shown as this like egregious thing for 1971 so it was yeah yeah, so there was like this weird mix of like I see you did a good job, but it's also clear that you are filming in like nineteen. You're, you're it also looks clear like you're filming in Toronto in 2015. <laughs> I'm only guessing because really um, it? it's everything films in Toronto. Yeah, I kind of thought some of the Manhattan scenes seemed like they could have been in New York, okay. but yeah, it yeah, was filmed in Cause Vancouver. Because like like the scene where they're sitting. And smoking pot on their first date, I was like, "That looks like it should be Bryant Park, but it does. It's not Bryant Park." Um, let me look up the national holiday for November fourth because that's the day this was released. I'd like to see if this ties back into our um, our holiday. Okay, so historical events that happened on November fourth. Um, in thirteen thirty three, there was the flood of the Arno River. So think about that. Maybe there's something there. <laughs> um, let me see. Is there like a national holiday? Fun holidays. 
<laughs> oh, it's Common Sense Day. <laughs> That's so rude. It's also Community Service Day, Citizenship Day, Flag Day, and Unity Day. Hmm. Oh, Flag Day in Russia. Sorry. Well, that's fun. Um, Okay, you guys, thank you so much for coming on. You guys, all of your information will be linked in the description of this podcast. Of course, 12 Months of Christmas is on our Patreon every month. Thank you so much, you guys. I would love to come do an episode of that with you sometime because all I do is podcast now, um, 24-7. And I also have another podcast. Uh, Well, I actually have two others, but the one that would be relevant to you is um, my friend Amanda and I are watching um, Real Housewives from the beginning. So we had this podcast, Friends of the Countess. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you ever want to come on and talk about an episode, (laughs) like an early episode of Roni. I would love to do that. That's my my favorite thing. Early episodes of Roni. Just finished season one. Yeah, yeah, I would love to do that. Send you an email or something. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, gear me up for that big Bethany and Jill fight. But if you want to lock that down, let me know. (laughs) I'll tell you. Yeah, don't worry. It's coming up and your heart will be broken. Um, (laughs) Joe, did you want to, did you have anything you wanted to shout out or plug or you're like, you're checked out? I feel. I feel like uh, everybody go (laughs) see Hyder in the house. I think that's. (laughs) Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.